and welcome to episode 363 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week. It's Halloween tomorrow and we will kick things off by discussing some of the horrors we have seen on a football field. Something that is a weekly occurrence for Jack at this moment in time. But we'll put a different spin on it before we get to uh, the most recent one a little later. We'll then get on to the weekend's action by digging into Manchester City's comprehensive win in the derby, the performance of Bernardo Silva, Erling Haaland, Bruno Fernandes and Anthony. Robert Sanchez's attempts to scramble back in the dying moments were emblematic of the way Chelsea's season is going as Thomas Frank's men made it three on the spin at Stamford Bridge. We'll go over the talking points of the other games this weekend and then close the show by digging into Tyson Fury's split decision win over Francis Ngannou. First, though, how are we doing today? Emblematic. I know you're writing intros at this stage. <laughs> I think that I like been, it though. I think it's been quite clear for some time. If I, if no, I think were, you really showed your hand there. If these were all off the dome, then uh, it'd be even more impressive. Jack, how are you doing today? You the, was it last fact, week? The fact that I didn't answer it, and then you've come back to ask me again. Well, say. two weeks ago you said it was the worst ever. So I mean, this, the only way is up. <laughs> you would have, you would have thought so. But then... Chelsea have a way of surpassing every exactly, weekend. Exactly. They have a, they just surprise you of reaching new lows. And then getting home, waking up to Matthew Perry dying is just, I know what, just end, just end it. Stop. This is awful. Don't just end it. <laughs> <laughs> I was messaged earlier, though, about how I thought the pod would go this evening. And I said, I don't know if there's a phrase that is easily used for the opposite of talking someone off the ledge. But I feel week by week I am just doing that to Jack. So, <laughs> and then the person there said they'd give you a shove. So, um, oh, really? Yeah. This is the opposite of a safe space. This yeah. is. There's no <laughs> feelings I, being considered here. We're talking about a certain person that liked me last week. If I got my haters as well that I don't know about, do you shield? You're me? pretty big time. Yeah. This do do you shield me, Byron? Um, <laughs> well, they're on with me next week, so uh, you can look and see who pops up then. Anyway, this track. <laughs> it is Halloween tomorrow. We'll get into the spirit of things here for three questions at least. I set you all some homework as late as this morning. Hopefully everyone is duly prepped. TK, we'll start with you. Was there any one player that used to terrify you going into a game? Ideally, you're going to tell me someone from an opposing team and not Andre Voronin, David Ngo. Yeah, I mean, there's a long list on that one. Most of Rafa's signings. Um most definitely in the Roy Hodgson era. Um, Disrespect. The, the the OG, I mean, Thierry Henry, I guess, was probably the Mike Myers to a lot of people. <laughs> like, just inevitable. Like, there's nothing we're going to do to stop this guy. There's definitely nothing this Liverpool team's going to do to stop him. Uh, so he would be the obvious choice earlier on. And then, obviously, there was that spell where Jamie Vardy just seemed to just be like, just such a a nightmare that you everybody was in love with him in the country as well at this point so everyone was kind of cheering on the fact that he was going to do this to us and you knew he was going to have like a shithouse celebration as well and you were tilted and you weren't obviously you're just a fan so god knows how like a defender was feeling playing him see Salah would have broken his record if the Luis Diaz goal counted against Spurs for the most consecutive goals or assists in Premier League games decent so Premier League away games one of the two. Um, Stop going on about that. Do you know what I mean? Just you bring it up. Yeah. You say everyone 
Lavardi. Not enough for him to make a uh, top 10 of the decade list. So didn't love him that much. At yeah. that point, people were in love with the guy. Then yeah. I think we sobered up. And was like, <laughs> He's a really good player, but yeah. Jack, um, anyone that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool era Torres, he always loved the game against us. He terrified the shit out of me. I would say Messi, but he didn't score against us until we allowed, Courtois allowed him to. I think he went, the only team he'd never scored against after playing five games. But above all, Stephen Naismith. What the he f- always scored against us. I don't know <laughs> what I was expecting to come out of his mouth. Oh, it wasn't that. <laughs> he scored, I want to say, at least in four separate games against us. And you know... He I really was, hope that's true now, yeah, and this isn't a figment of your imagination. He, he was more terrifying because... It wasn't, look at all. Yeah, he wasn't... You just knew that he was going to get a goal, no matter how bad you may think he is as a player. He would just pop up with a goal. Just one of the... Stephen Naismith. Haunts my nightmares. You said you hope that's right and uh, you'd hope he's checked it. I listened back to uh, an old episode recently. And Outovich being a little guy, not a great show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our sort of blank faces when you said that probably was a... Yeah. Uh, I'm fairly yeah. certain yeah. He's, he's quite a tall fella. What you just said about um, Messi then... I remember in the Champions League and it's the same as when a player comes on and the commentators say something like, you know, he was released from their academy at 15. Yeah, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. And they did a thing about, you know, Ibrahimovic has never scored against an English team and I think he banged two against us in about five minutes in the Champions League. Your player steps up, like he hasn't missed a penalty all season. I was like, yeah, okay, then brilliant, thank you. That's great. Same game, Fabregas uh, scored the penalty in with a broken leg and the truth to that story, I don't want but it sounds good like that way. So, mine, Especially because that means Eduardo could have played on. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the team struggled. Fabregas was crying, I yeah. think. Everyone else had PTSD. Mine probably has to be Drogba, by all accounts. Yeah. We, we've had a few that feel like they're synonymous with scoring against us. Um, I guess from outside the fan base as well, there's players that I think even if I asked you, who do you think scored a load of goals against Arsenal, you'd be able to reel them off. Rooney, Firmino, Vardy, the list obviously carries on. Perhaps naively, Firmino always felt like someone that I went into a game expecting us to stop or perhaps was just more scared of the others. Yeah, I can now acknowledge like how naive that was. Rooney was separate in that he's obviously just a fantastic player. So... It's kind of like, I don't think any fan base in the league, United, maybe separate, says, oh, so annoying. Salah always scores against us. He scores against everyone. Mm. So it doesn't stand out in in quite the same way. With Drogba, it felt like it was personal. (laughs) I know Wenger did an interview around the time he started popping, saying, you know, we had the chance to sign him for 100 grand, but we didn't feel he was quite ready at the time. Why did Wenger come up with these things? Why did he. (laughs) He did say later in the interview, also, a lot of teams are watching it at the time and we had Thierry Henry, which is feels completely pretty, fair. Pretty good contextualisation. Um, he played against us 15 times in all comps, scored 13. They won 10 of those. That's pretty good. That I remember him era. scoring a free kick against us in 2009. Is that the side foot far corner one? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm convinced that he doesn't take that from Lampard if it's against anyone else other than us. He just knows <laughs> against us if he hits it, it's probably going to go in. I want to think he was on a hat-trick that game and that's why he took it, I think. No, I had to look back at the game. Oh, is that the one where he has that side foot into the stanchion? If you search drop cross? a free kick, it's the top It's the top one. He scored eight in his career, two were against us. <laughs> uh, around that time in 09, um, 
I remember our season was going quite well. We were in the semi-finals of the Champions League. We'd put together a run in the league. We weren't going to win it, but I think we were trying to go for the automatic qualification where you didn't have to do that horrible playoff game, which we had to do a few times. Um, we were in the semi-final of the FA Cup as well. And then it all just came crumbling down in the space of a week. We had the 4-4 with Liverpool that it's inexplicable Inexplicable they didn't win that game. Is it Yossi Benayoun? Scores late, I think it is. My guy. To, uh, and we had another barn burner against you years later and Joe Allen scores late on where Giroud has like the game of games there. He has one, it's just first touch is a joke and he just rifles it in. They know what he deliver. Because Chelsea then beats us 4-1 at the Emirates in the league. We do the, we're battering them early. They go 1-0 up and it's, you know what's going to happen from then on. And then we play them in the FA Cup. Now Drogba doesn't score in the league but he gets like two assists and I think he's still man of the match. The FA Cup, he's not so kind and he scores an 85th minute winner after we've taken the lead through Walcott at Wembley and then we go to the Champions League where against United, which is probably the most tormenting game I've ever watched <laughs> in, in space of the levels just being so far apart. Kieran Gibbs scored an OG, didn't help early. But Drogba, just a pure menace Hated him. <laughs> and I'll still maintain, much like Hazard, he's put in some lists higher than he should be because his moments top a lot of other players' moments, him in a final. Yeah. The thing is, I see this a lot. As a big game player, a guy that wins you trophies consistently, you would rather have a guy that scores 142 goals for you in all comps than when someone that scores 200 and they all meant nothing. If you start padding against... But I'm not sure that these players that they're compared to meant nothing. There's just a thing whenever it's a Chelsea player in these conversations, there's some asterisks to explain why they should be higher in these lists I think that all of the other players the don't th- have. The thing is, the 11 cup finals, 11 goals. Oh, like you can't... Just, it's just outrageous. When you, when you can think of other prolific goal scorers that don't perform in these big games, he came alive only in these big games. I think you've uh, done Hazard a solid by putting him in the same conversation as Drogba, to be honest. Because Drogba has the, a legit argument for, yeah. well, my goals mean something, like turning up every time. Yeah. Whereas Hazard kind of has a bit of an idea that Chelsea fans think he always turned up and the rest of us well, think. My, you say that, he's won know. trophies as well. Mm-hmm. My irritant this week was... He is in no way as clutch as Didier No, 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 no absolutely not. The argument yeah, stands well for Drogba that you'd be piggybacking if you're putting I, Hazard in that I think if, if you look at it as well where we'd be backs against the wall a lot of these games where the, the tactics that we're playing and we look down and out I think the Munich final is probably the one where mm. just out of nowhere this bullet header that I've never seen him score a goal like that before at a near post and the fact that he's pushed into it as well I just <laughs> it's Jared Bowen was asked this week who the best Premier League winger of all time is and he said Salah and the first reply of the interviewer is, yeah, because there's been this big conversation recently about Hazard and Salah. Who is having this conversation? I want to give credit to whichever guy first put it out into the ether has, allowed, has managed to make it a thing. I want to give him full credit. <laughs> Let's not go over old ground though, because I'm still not quite recovered from the other week. <laughs> Jack, we'll start with you this time around. What is the most scared you've ever been going into a game? Without doubt, hands down, the uh, 2008 Champions League final against United because of how many United fans there were at school and how big that game was. And yeah, good reason to be. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, Slippy tea. Awful. Awful day. 
the biggest slip. <laughs> um, TK, do you have one that stands out for you? Uh, I mean, we're currently watching a game. <laughs> for uh, for the listeners, we decided generously to put on uh, the Palace-Liverpool game where it all goes pear-shaped. Well, if Jack keeps forcing Hazard into conversations, I'm going to force Dwight Gale into some uncomfortable <laughs> conversations because that man is disrespected. Um, so yeah, these collection of games, effectively the first title race I'd known. And, uh, yeah, it didn't go so well. But uh, if you wanted a game just where you thought, we're going to get smashed here. The following season, we're obviously in the Champions League and we're playing Madrid. And you, you know, the team that we put out is well documented. It's, <laughs> there's a picture of it. And yeah, I thought this team is getting absolutely smashed. And to be honest, it should have gone a lot worse than it did. The reason I specified later, because I'd sent these questions to you and I thought they were fairly self-explanatory. I sent them to a few other people. Carriers was two answers on two people's pages for both the player that terrified you every time and the next question that we're going to get onto. So that's what and I those thought. people were Liverpool fans. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I best be sure. Um, I've seen us play far bigger games, but that away game against Spurs two seasons ago, where we could have secured Champions League football, is probably it. <laughs> I felt sick from about a week beforehand. <laughs> The day at work dragged and I was glad because I didn't need that game coming any sooner. But at the same time, I just wanted it over with. Rob holding El Nenny and Cedric starting. <laughs> Eddie up top. We didn't have to win, but you knew. You knew the way that tide was going to turn and did turn. People look at St. James's Park away a lot differently in the last uh, year or so than... It was still also look. They still can still go to St James's Park and win after yeah. that was the big thing. But after it had gone down like that, with an even more depleted squad afterwards, can't forget at St James's wasn't pleasant. I remember on the way home from work that day, um, my mum actually stopped the car before we got out. I know you're supposed to, do that, and asked me what was wrong and if everything was okay. <laughs> I was legitimately a wreck. I mean, I don't think I said a word at work the day after. Just very, very traumatic. <laughs> the incredible thing being, he's going to explain to his mum all the virus. He's going to be like, what? Happened, what the hell's wrong with you? It happened the same after, after the draw with Southampton last year. and Well, this, this year, last season. And I saw that party shot on my timeline again in the last couple of days, which it gets worse every time I see it. <laughs> It was like what I had the Nabi Kata Champions League final one on my time on earlier. <laughs> Didn't need that. Like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, that's the title gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I thought it was gone already, but I was like, it's really gone now. Not now. <laughs> Not now. Like, you still got some games left. I thought, I thought you got to play Man City. I said, no. And I was with Jack the day of that. That wasn't that wasn't a fun day either. The meltdown in the car was just the best. <laughs> Go it's like a monologue. Car. I wanted to put like the streets music over it. In fact, aren't you saying it? What's playing? Is it Goodbye, My Love, James the- Blood? <laughs> well, it was it was bad. Was already. it on random or no? No, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I being control of the stereo. It, it perked up a bit after the acceptance had kicked in, but we got in the car, and then I went on my timeline, which I knew was going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. 
And the first thing I see is Rob holding, winking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> someone, yeah. Someone, I forgot that. So someone had messaged me when we were in the ground saying, did Rob holding wink? And I said to Archie, apparently Rob holding winked after he scored that goal. Now we got in the car and I saw him like that, like cheeky chappy. And then head was just completely, completely gone. When we were in the bar after the game and, I mean, my face rumbled me more than anything else could have. And there was some wise guy trying to uh, make some cracks. And I said, we needed to leave. <laughs> Need to go now. We'd done so well up until that point as well. Yeah, not good. Anyway, last question here. The biggest horror show you've seen from one of your own players can be a performance or a moment. Mine isn't Rob Holding at the Etihad, though it was in consideration. TK, back to you to kick us off. Hmm. Is it one we've mentioned already? I mean, yeah, a moment, obviously. Slippy G is for sure. Oh, I was thinking Carrier against Madrid. <laughs> no, I think that would be, but then, yeah, you got Stevie slipping, Carrier's <laughs> in the Champions League final. This game, just having a meltdown at 3 0 up, is probably right up there. Um, there are a few things, and I, I texted you about um, Gavi earlier because I didn't know about this until I, I saw a, a journalist write like a serious article about it today. You can do almost anything on a football pitch. Anthony tried it yesterday. Don't cry. Yeah, yeah. People say, you know, men can cry. How are you saying this with chess when you've got Zinni Chanks in your team? Well, he's crying for a different reason. So that How one, many reasons does he cry for this time? That one we can accept. And even still... 13 reasons why Zinchenko cries is, is his own series. If Zinchenko was crying on the pitch, I'd be saying... Go somewhere else and do that. <laughs> I think, I think, I think you're is. saying it's passion. I think you're calling it passion at that point. I think I've tried that before. And then I like caught, just no, like there's enough places you can say you're in a shit or something and go down the tunnel. <laughs> Gavi, when the journalist saying he's biting his lip and he was trying to hold it in and eventually <laughs> he just let it go. No lip biting. You, you can't be the player Suarez is and cry on the pitch and, uh, for Gerard coddling his face into his chest makes that no better and, and as always as well don't push the camera out the way because that's <laughs> you know what the score is here uh, yeah um, if you wanted just, just a player who's just having like a nightmare game I, I do think Joe Gomez against Villa when we were getting an absolute hiding <laughs> is I thought this guy genuinely needs saving because he's I don't know, it's like throwing one of us into a back four <laughs> and just think, oh my God, they should not be there. Get them out of it. We we watched that back, I think, on a pod we did before. It sounds it's like a female, isn't it? <laughs> um, you do get a kick out, as I can tell. Yeah, we don't... S- sat there grinning. We don't watch any bad Arsenal ones. Yeah, watch, it's, it's, <laughs> well, we don't want to put the host off, do we? It's a, a weird thing. I, um, I think we've stayed away from all the bad shows ones because I'm living... No, no, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm living them in the moment. <laughs> well, we watched the Battle of the Bridge last week, so everyone was... Uh, I get enough of that wave currently. Shamak was on the pitch in Istanbul. That is Shamak. Look, there's a lot going on in this game. <laughs> Shamak and Dwight Gale might be my favourite partnership of all time. <laughs> if, they, if if one doesn't come off for the other, I don't know if Gale comes on, which... I think he comes off the bench. In that case, yeah. how Shamak was starting ahead of the man, tell all the boys you know. Crazy. That We watched that Villa game some bad deflection in that game yeah I mean like, we had some horrible luck as well I remember. nonetheless but that Villa team 
they did us at the Emirates that season where they were three up in about 18 minutes. And like Barkley was megging people in the box. I think uh, someone that had no right to be taking the piss was taking the piss. And it was like my entire timeline was like, this is it. This is the lowest point <laughs> any of us are ever going to feel. Little did you know. Joe Gomez singled out that much in that game. I mean, it was a it was a shocker all round, but he yeah, it was it got spooky. And uh, I say this as someone who's watched some Trent horror shows. <laughs> I, I tried to go with the first game that came into my head here, and I don't think it's an obvious one because I was thinking through. You've of course got the Abue game where he's subbed on and off, the Xhaka game where he tells the crowd to fuck off. He's <laughs> he's a horror show, and maybe the angriest I've been at a game. Mustafi in any of 10 games that spring to mind but when Unai decided to rotate in a game where we could have sealed Champions League qualification is a low point and he just Palace? it was yeah. Palace yeah he starts um, Mavropanos Mustafi Jenkinson it made no sense <laughs> at all um, OAP Arteta in his final season where those legs had gone he came on against West Brom for Coquelin he gave away a free kick that they scored from he scored no goal got injured and went off <laughs> oh god <laughs> Uh, agent check or say Kalasanach in uh, Baku where Kalasanach kept getting s- to the edge of the box to cross it and just kept smashing it with all of his might completely on brand <laughs> Danny Ceballos against Benfica Ox in the 4-0 where we lose to Liverpool where he joins you a week later <laughs> and says we beat Arsenal 4-0 last week <laughs> that's so good <laughs> Pablo Mari convincing people that Lukaku was back at Chelsea and that was very short lived yeah Ultimately, the pick I went for is Olivier Giroud against Monaco in 2015. Not sure what I was watching this in uh, Apre in Cheltenham, RIP. Yeah. He got a 2 out of 10 from L'Equipe that night. God. Jamie Redknapp said, as a team, we couldn't tackle a hot dinner, which. <laughs> <laughs> Weird choice of phrase of all the things. <laughs> Michael has listened to that nodding along. Yeah, I know exactly what he means. Yeah, well, we didn't know Monaco were this good. I think it's a year before yeah. they win the league. So some of the players aren't there. They've got um, Berbatov is actually up top that game. I'm not sure if Mbappe has come through yet. I didn't want to watch too much back. But there were people celebrating the draw that year, if you remember. There were actual clips of Arsenal fans celebrating the draw because I think we may even have come second in the group. I think we have had Bayern Munich in the group that year where we beat them at the Emirates. We, I think we had Bayern Munich and Napoli in our group. Anyway, he missed three square across goals. He missed one open goal and he did something else as well that was terrible. He had one he could have put on a plate. He decided to go himself knowing the game he was having. And That's I, confidence. I don't, <laughs> think he, I don't think he ever came back from it. I remember he was interviewed after the game and he said, you know, your, your side is several goals down. You're chasing the game. We disappointed to be subbed off. And he said, I can't blame Mr. Wenger for taking me <laughs> off. But the real thing with the game that people say, you know, a classic Arsenal. We're 3-0 down. Ox scores a banger from range to get us back into it. We let them just walk at the other end of the pitch in stoppage time after we've scored in stoppage time for them to make it 4-1. Um, Berbatov, I think, chips the keeper in the dire moments. And then we did the thing we do in the Champions League where we nearly came back. We went out on away goals, I think it was, which 
vile, but yeah, Giroud in that game was the point in which he never really got a section of the fan base back on side. Yeah. It was that bad. Jack, any particular Chelsea uh, player performance? So it doesn't have to be Chelsea, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, the one that springs to mind is Torres, 2011, away at Old Trafford. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, where yes. he's kind of got us thinking, hang on a minute, he's back. He started the season pretty well. I think it was early on the season. I think it was like a September game. He started pretty, pretty well, pretty sharp. He's chipped De Gea from six yards out, just dinked it straight over him and made him look a right idiot. And then second half starts, I think we're 2-0 down. I think it's 2-1 at this point. And he rounds the hair with a lovely step over. And we think, oh my God, two ga- two goals in a game. I'm already out of my seat cheering. And I just see it not go in the net. I think Martin Tyler, I looked it back at it the other day and he goes, oh no. <laughs> in true Martin Tyler fashion. And I just can't understand why it's not in the net. And I don't ever remember feeling so sick. After sit, I felt physically sick. After as I sat back down on the sofa, and I just couldn't fathom how it not going there. And again, that was his chance to really kick on, and then he just faded into obscurity after that a little bit. Um, that or Bakayoko against Watford under Conte's um, horror year, I think it is. He's comes on the pitch. He's on the minutes. He's on the pitch for twenty minutes. He gives the ball away five times and gets two yellow cards and gets sent off. <laughs> and we lose 4-1 away at Vicarage Road. That was pretty poor. And multiple 3-0 losses to Bournemouth as well in there. But somehow... Bogey team. Yeah, I mean, everyone is at the moment. But back then, those have to be up there as the scariest performance. Thursday this week, I saw a collection of messages and tweets saying simply, that's the most Darwin thing ever. Now, there's a lot of pressure when someone says that for a start. A lot of excitement, though, I think, when you see that message. And then I'd seen the still image saying, how does he not score from here? And those have been misleading in the past. (laughs) It really was (laughs) the most Darwin thing ever. Him on his hands and knees, like looking at the ground as the ball is... (laughs) The fact that you score after actually makes it better. Because he's looking in the other direction. Him just laughing to himself like a maniac, (laughs) knowing like, what am I like? (laughs) Like he's not in control of this thing. It's in a great meme of what Darwizzi actually saw and someone superimposed someone's uh, Gravenbatch's face onto the post <laughs> as if he's if I thought I'm just going to play a pass here. It's an assist. <laughs> it's an assist at the end of the day. I will say um, a lot of the fan base that we're about to talk about that criticised Liverpool fans for um, acknowledging the chaos that Darwin brings and maybe that even though he's not putting it in the net what he brings is enabling others to. Same energy is not being carried over for their Mr. 007 now, their great Dane up top, who's not even doing the second part of that, where if you're not going to score, do something so bad <laughs> that one of your teammates can. <laughs> but we'll speak about it, him. It was a genuine flashback to Torres with Darwin's one. Yeah. But the difference was, as Jack just said there, I thought Torres is back here, he's going to score. I didn't doubt for a second Darwin was missing that. <laughs> I was surprised it hit the post, though. I've always just hitting this wide. As soon as he went on the keeper, I was like, I know what's happening. I know the tweets. I know the reaction. I can see it already in this split second. So, so I found out about this. We did it at the same time. Yeah, because I, I wasn't watching the game. And when I was at the Chelsea-Arsenal game last week, afterwards in one of the bars, we got talking to these 
group of American lads that were doing this football tour of the UK where a couple of nights here, then they're going out to Anfield to watch that game, then they were going to the Manchester Derby or something like that. Nice. And um, I followed him on Instagram, you know, just flicking through the stories that evening. And then I see Darwizzy in on goal and they're all jumping up in their records going, Nunez, Nunez. And then they all start cheering because they thought... Jump bumped into Eric Carlton, yeah. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> what a stroke of luck. Um, and then it goes in. Uh, that doesn't go in. I'm just like, that, that can't be real. This is doctored. This, this isn't true. So I then had to go and search for the actual footage. And I just couldn't believe what I was watching. The thing I love with players like that is that every so often they will give you that game at St. James's Park. And so as a manager, it's like, just force me to cut ties with you. Yeah. Instead, yeah, he's yeah. doing the Godfather just when I was out. <laughs> Pull me back in. You never say Darwin stop. All right. Let's move on to the Mank Derby that took place in the 4.30 slot yesterday. A 3.30 slot yesterday, as we were reminded all week. And I still forgot then just then. City barely seemed to get out of second gear as they uh, strolled to a 3-0 win at Old Trafford. Haaland's put City ahead from the spot, followed up with a header, and he put a ribbon on the result when he assisted Foden for a third. I guess we'll go for the key moments here, the performances overall. A lot was said by Gary Neville on commentary about the early start that United made. I groaned when I saw he was doing the game. It was worth it for the final 10 minutes. <laughs> we got the payoff. <laughs> TK, first question to you. How good were United early on before Bernardo Silva got them playing, as Gary put it? Hmm. it? From the tone of what you're saying, I think there is a degree to which it was they weren't as bad to begin with as they were later in the game, so therefore we're repackaging it like they were great to hmm. begin with. But I did still think they started quite well. I thought there was, I mean, there was an actual plan to what they were doing, it was sitting in hitting them on the counter and it was working pretty well. I thought they looked threatening. City looked surprised in the open a few times. I thought Rashford got in a couple of times, should have had better decision-making, similar with Hoyland a couple of times. So you could see, one, the plan, but also how they could have success. And it was like, after about 15, 20 minutes, it was either, it was like a like an underdog boxer who kind of gave it a go for the first couple of rounds, maybe realised it wasn't happening and just settled in to take the loss. That's kind of how it felt with United. And then just at the end of the second half, uh, just at the end of the first half, I thought they ended up having a couple of chances again and looked like they kind of rediscovered it a little bit. And then the second half was the second half. It was, they obviously quit at some point. How, how did you see it, Jack? Did you think it was a team being praised for the bare minimum or was it good application of a game plan? They're pressing from the front, winning the ball back in the opposition third. Um, I think it's the, the former. I think it is genuinely, they looked... They surprised everyone by just not falling apart straight away, <laughs> which is what they seem to be praised for here. It's You should be praised for taking the game to City and imposing yourself upon them and or even just looking like you're in the game. It always felt like, and a lot like watching us this season, where they're at 100% and creating absolutely nothing. Everything's at the last second. They're stretching to keep hold of passes. They're stretching to just tackle someone before they break through a line. Whereas City, when they had it, it just looked pedestrian. It was... Very much a case of they'd pass it around the back, Mount and someone would, or no, sorry, before he came on, um, Amrabat would push up and then they just play it around the corner and just walk straight past their midfield. I don't think you can praise a team for that because that was such a poor 
application of what they've been told to do or tactics or whatever, I don't think you can praise them for it. I think at home, I mean, Arky's talking, I understand, but at home in a, in a, in a derby where you've got a lot of players fit. I know they're talking about Varane and Casemiro. I think it's probably doing them a favour a little bit with some of the mistakes they've made and how unengaged Casemiro has looked this season. I don't. I think they should be looking for more than what they're doing. How much of your feeling is dictated by... I've heard a lot of pundits this week where they're going to criticise United and they'll say, there's no other big team in this league that would... I mean, maybe Chelsea is basically when they, they preface saying you wouldn't uh, there's no other team that is more is worse run than this. There's no other team that is putting in poor performances like this. And Chelsea's name was being dragged a lot in this. I did wonder if that would colour your uh, yeah, I perception. Mean, we deserve it. There's no shying away from the fact that like that it's poor, but we'll come on to Chelsea yeah, later because yeah. I do yeah. <laughs> I do have some points on that. I thought I thought United started well, I thought at half time, it was. I don't know how good their start was. I, I always joke when I speak to Sean about the Arsenal Spurs game that I referenced, and I say, "Don't forget, Arsenal started well in that game. They had the crowd. They you know they were they were quiet in the crowd, and it was it was like six minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. United's was slightly more than that. I think they won the ball back nicely. I, I do think City were a bit sloppy early. I don't know if the last couple of results have maybe got to them a bit. I don't know if. It was just a case of United were up for it. I do agree with what you said. I think there was a definite game plan. I'm not sure I agree with it. Um, but the teams that have beaten City in the last couple of weeks, you have to give them a bit of something. You can't just retreat and retreat and retreat. And exactly. We're not and really- it's like United forgot that. It's like they kind of <clears throat> remembered the sitting in bit and forgot the, oh yeah, we do actually have to keep hitting you on the counter. Around, sort of, even just 20 minutes into it, it was like, They'd forgotten it. And then obviously at halftime, it was like the manager forgot it with his sub. Well, the, the Arsenal-Sheffield game this week, if anyone was under uh, any illusions, Sheffield are shite. <laughs> <laughs> Their game plan was... That record low points haul, wasn't yeah, there? They, <laughs> wasn't quite they were just going to retreat and retreat and retreat. They didn't have Holland up top. They had Rian Brewster, who for some inexplicable reason was pinning himself on Saliba. <laughs> and they were just going long. And by the, the guy who's not particularly big. Yeah. <laughs> by the end of the game, United were, were doing this. Don't bit. ever forget the money we got for him. Yeah. No. <laughs> we did it again. <laughs> um, the penalty decision, the ball's played in. Rodri tries to run past Hoyland, who blocks him with his arm. Rodri goes flying over. If we start with Jack, did you think this was a penalty? <sighs> I think it was soft at best. Um, it's, it's tricky because we have it's a very similar one in the Chelsea game with Sterling where he's pushed from behind which was more of a pen that wasn't given um, I don't I think there's a lot of that that goes on again consistency we say it every single week when I was listening back to the last week's pod on a long drive uh, last week it's just we say it every week is that there's no consistency and that will happen every game next week and will they penalise it? It happens later in the Doubtful. game with, um, uh, I think it happens to Maguire or Maguire maybe does it to someone. I, I wrote in my notes Maguire and nothing happens with it. And to put it back whilst they're in play, so you obviously think this is such a huge error by the referee or whatever that he hasn't given it, which to me, where you go, oh, that's this, not, is it? I mean, this is what I wanted we, we to say. If he gave it originally, 
they're probably not going to overturn well, it. And we, you go, okay, I guess there's enough in there. But I don't think he is giving it original. I don't think he should. Like you said, we're going to be doing it every free kick and corner. I think as well, like you look at it with the Wolves and Newcastle game. The, on well, I'm Sunday, going to ask you about that a bit Saturday, later, Saturday night, yeah. sorry. Oh, are we going to come on yeah, to that? Yeah, yeah we'll come but on to that. What, what a comparison that, that can be made, that the ref either sees this and doesn't believe enough contact was made or he didn't see it and the VAR have got in his ear asked that question uh, as Rodri's on his 18th roll. Not to make this an Arsenal issue, hopefully me siding with United, because I don't think it was a penalty, shows my objectivity on the issue. It's Michael Oliver on VAR. Now, three weeks ago, when you look at how he refereed our game against City, the level of contact that he needed to either give a foul or draw a card was great to the point that Kovacic doesn't get the second booking. Mm. So how you can imagine that the guy that doesn't give that can be so sensitive to this level of contact, it makes no sense. And again, I don't, the conspiracy theory is out there. I'm not hyping this up. This is a guy that traveled to the the UAE um, four weeks ago before uh, the Liverpool Spurs game. This is a guy that's given questionable decisions before. This is a guy that, I don't know, they made a big thing, didn't they, on the broadcast and Mike Dean, we did not need to hear from that oh, weasel so much. God. They made such a big thing that Michael Oliver wasn't given the appointment in the game. Is it a case of a guy that hasn't been given the biggest game of the weekend trying to stamp his mark on the biggest game of the weekend? <laughs> it did feel a little bit like that. Because if he's doing that every week, fair. If you look and so we get to a point where you would get it in the Champions League where there was a thing with it's European ref I know I have to be on my game here because they're far fussier yeah. than we are in the league if it comes to every broadcast now and you the, the list comes out of the officials and Liverpool are playing Villa and you've got Michael Oliver on VAR and so Klopp has to say to his team before look he's given a lot of these this he's season shit, he, wa- he watches for this you have to adjust your game fair if he's consistent like that the league accept it, they aren't putting it in and it's his interpretation, then you kind of have to live with it until they move on from him. If it's just that he gives it just this once, it's because yeah, then it's I think of, you have to the, level it out for the rest of the game at least. Yeah, what is the method in his thinking, if that's the case, like you said, to go from, if you don't think that Kovacic wants a red, hmm. then you are a ref who likes a bit more contact. When he's thinking then, that, fair enough. they said that they don't want referees ruining big games then this is the primary job <laughs> you do not have to give it no one would have been like screaming blue murder here if they don't put 100%. it back we, it's, we, it's probably it, the best it, way to determine well, if it's we, spoke, we, we is, spoke about the like driving theory test where you have to do the clicker when yeah. you see something and it's, <laughs> if I'd shown it to you initially do you think straight away you that's what the penalty is for because there's so much in around the box. Maguire's got right round. I would have probably guess it was that one. Yeah. If I was guessing, if yeah. I was guessing what it was given for. Yeah, I was looking at it. I was thinking, like, like you said, Tico, I echo it. Where there's so much made of there's refs not giving something that was completely obvious to everyone. That why the hell have you done that? <laughs> Whereas this was everyone would have turned a blind eye to. It. I think even City fans, if they've been honest with themselves, would go, "Ah, probably not going to get that one." And well, they, they were probably confident they were going to rattle in a few goals anyway. Yeah, they probably well, yeah, didn't need a fan. Exactly. And it just didn't need that. The game didn't need that. No. If it goes in at nil nil, you've probably still got a decent spectacle second half and yeah. something may, you, you don't ruin the game. And I think that's the whole point of if you're not going to send Kovacic off because you don't want to ruin a game, why are you giving Man City a penalty 
on the stroke of half time. Well, the, the point with that's where I do think the point with consistency does stand because sometimes we go, we want consistency, and you go, well, different refs are going to apply different standards, so you can't really go, well, he did this, he did that. I know there's a, a rule book, but there is some interpretation, and you can understand it. But yeah, you are right. If if one guy, especially our probably most high profile guy, is basically at both ends of the spectrum on different weeks, you're kind of like, well, where the hell do we stand? It's it's, it's a bad week again for them. Um, Shocker. I, I mean, I I went back and watched the Arsenal highlights. I wouldn't blame anyone else for not checking for Arsenal Sheffield, and most of it didn't make the broadcast. If either of you have seen the penalty that we do get, the guy doesn't give it in normal time, and he looks at the screen for multiple minutes and it's the most blatant one you can see we've got the Newcastle incident with, that we're going to get on to yeah he, I hadn't realised he looked at the screen for ages yeah. I, saw, I saw the penalty given but the, I didn't see that the thing that saves him in this case is that everyone's response is well if I mean if you're going to look at it then it is a penalty and none of us are saying it isn't a foul the thing is that what is and what isn't I remember playing at Old Trafford the um uh, the year Erdegaard gives away a penalty late and we lose at Old Trafford. Maguire has Tommy Asu right around the shirt and he's yanking he him back. He grabs his arm at one point, yeah. doesn't he? So you go like, well, that's... And everyone's basically told, come on, mm. you're not getting a, you're not getting one for that. Mm. The fact that it is at Old Trafford means, look, I'm even more shocked that they got it. First Premier League penalty that Manchester, Manchester City have received at Old Trafford. Who do you think has which away team has won the most penalties at Old Trafford? Do you reckon? Which away team? Yeah. I want to say Liverpool. That, You'd be correct. That Torres era. Just Liverpool have won seven penalties at Old Trafford. The next highest is three, and that's Arsenal. Just something that surprised me when I saw the uh, yeah. the list. Hot. If they're all seven like debatable penalties, then you go, oh, that is a bit weird. But if they're stone waters, then... Haaland scuffs the penalty, but Onana's gone the wrong way. The crowd were chanting, Haaland, how's your dad? It sounded like before <laughs> yeah. he takes the pen. And then while he's celebrating, they're, they're shouting Kino. Him laughing about it after the game, saying that's what they get, basically, is, is great. His personality seems to have come out more and more and more over the last year we're far removed from the he refuses interviews he was like one word answering it his whole brand was he's just a robot built to play football Mm. and now in interviews he's cracking jokes he's uh, kind of roughing players hair a little bit when he's saying you know this is why Pep loves you to Bernardo Silva and little things like that wouldn't have expected that when he first came into the league uh, I think you got little hints at it I think certainly when you see some of the stuff with him with the other players and stuff, especially, you can see he's he's a good teammate. I mean, I one that- of him pointing at the old the woman in the crowd for Dortmund. Yes. When she she's doing some gesture at him and he's yeah. pointing at her like that. Yeah. I think, don't forget he was young. He's still young when he came. Like, to, to back yourself, he probably wanted to hit the ground run and score a few goals and then let his personality come out afterwards where... I think he's probably just professional lad to be fair. I think his brand is still sort of uh, when you even when he talks to like Nevin Carrigan and the thing after it's kind of dismissive, kind of laughing at them a little bit because if you were that guy, everyone's opinion probably would be kind of funny. So yeah. probably all, what the hell do I care? Yeah, the celebration is great for the for the penalty because it's, if you're going to give it to me, then I'd like him to give it a bit more. I don't let's go. I thought it was a uh, well. I think he could have been against anyone. I thought. I think of, he was 
patting them on the head, basically. Was I, I remember one quote where he said, like, I'm not really sure what they meant. I was like, you yeah, know, you're not yeah, really fucking say that. Hang on a minute. <laughs> what happened in my dad's career? Is, what, is there any yeah, he, memorable yeah. incident? Because he literally says, um, at one point they were they were chanting uh, Roy Keane's name. I don't really know what they meant. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you do that, then it's maybe going to wind them up more. That's all I can think he's going for there is he's just... <laughs> Or, or he's weird just, scenario for Keen in the studio. Just gonna yeah, say, I've thought that. <laughs> yeah, I fucking did his. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he's just taking away the next question because he's basically daring the interviewer to either explain it to him or move on. It's a good way of, in any interview, isn't it, to play dumb. It's always yeah. a, a pretty good one. You got you got a good idea of his personality with that clip with him and John Stones. It's the loop. His impression is excellent. Uh, yeah. Um. The selection, Ten Hag said pre-match that the inclusion of Johnny Evans at centre-back and right-footed Victor Lindelof at left-back, I'm a Lindelof guy, but instead of Varane and Reguillon, was a decision based on tactics. He's been listening to Arteta. Yeah. <laughs> well, they've done this thing where he now refuses to say even what the injury is because he says he doesn't want his players being targeted in that particular area because of this. <laughs> How are we going to target one area for Varane? <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> and those San Marino players just jumping into it, Hoyland's back every single time. <laughs> Outrageous. They started the game with like a diamond. McTominay was playing close to Hoyland. Onana was basically going long to the pair of them and saying, why don't you get on the end of that? At half time. They're only 1-0 down, thanks to a good save from Onana from a Haaland header. I thought it was a bit like the rare one against Spurs, where the replay pulls it back a bit. It's still a, it's still a good was, save. I think it was better. I think it Oh, was it was better for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying uh, in the moment, it looks like this is one, one of the best saves I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think with the, the force of the header, that makes all the difference here. I think... And the placement of it. Though. Yeah, the placement, the force, and the fact that he saves it, brings it back into his body and then balloons it out. So it's not just going to fall at someone's feet, which he managed to do later in the game. Yeah. Um, he, he it was like he unlearned. Yeah, he had a stinker before that. There was the one in the in the box that Maguire's shielding and he dives down that was, to that, that was after, that put it and he pumps it forward. Oh no, he, has, yeah, he flaps at the one before, doesn't yeah. he? That Harlan should just head in and he tries to it volley it Neville instead. goes, that's a strange save. Yeah, and he's, la- and he's laughing <laughs> yeah. Harland after he's missed that. And um, But yeah, he does right the wrongs or wrong the rights as, yeah. as Onana does later in the game but that was a fantastic save it just looked great on the eye but as an actual save technically it was brilliant well, yeah, Harlan laughing at that was like it was like a nature documentary wasn't it where it's like this lion knows he's about to get that <laughs> fucking it doesn't matter he's, I'll come back don't worry uh, at 1-0 down some let offs from Onana as we just mentioned he decides to substitute Amrabat their only recognised defensive midfielder and bring on Mason Mount. Do we find out if he's injured or not? Or was it just they, not this guy said not injured. Fucking hell. So, second half, no idea how Haaland gets that amount of space for the second goal. That he, early as well. He's given you half. some warnings. I, I think it's so bold of United to man mark everyone apart from Haaland <laughs> from that cross. It's just like, Go on, let's see what you got. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean this seriously because I've said this. I've said the same thing about it's usually Cockland the example I use. If the guy has shown you what he is, then you can't complain when he doesn't do what you know he can't. Basically, yeah. can you be angry at Johnny Evans here? No, for almost anything that that takes place. Not really, because 
He got relegated. He's less than us. Yeah, yeah he, he shouldn't be there. Actually. Yeah, it's... On what football manager you can tick all these squad statuses. Emergency backup is one of them. He is... He, when he comes to negotiations, isn't expecting anything more than that. And somehow he's worked his way up the depth chart to the point where they're saying... Well, whenever I, whenever I see his inclusion, I just think of the Brent meme of, what are you doing here? <laughs> just, I saw the, that's all I can think. I think if you told United fans that in the Manchester derby you're going to be starting, or Harry Maguire and um, yeah. Johnny Evans are going to be playing in the, in this game, well, they would look to you like incredible. Because he's old in that as well. His prime has been sort of repackaged as like it was... Maybe, I don't know, just a tier under like John Terry-esque. Yeah, like, no, no, no. He was never really good enough for United, hence why he left. Yeah. And I'm now like, you're hearing... thinking he's going to be an elite defender yeah. at 35. Keep hearing Rio say, um, and look, I, I, he should never have left at the time. I believe that. There was no one that thought when United let Johnny Evans go, you might make a mistake here. This yeah. might have to come back to haunt you. <laughs> yeah. What about their centre-back situation facing you on, though? We've let a PK get away here. And what? to be fair, when he came in in pre-season, I thought, okay, there are far worse players that you can sign to be your fifth or sixth choice centre-back. I would rather have him there than Eric Bailly. That if neither of them are going to play games, I'd rather this guy be around the squad, yeah, everything, yeah. and at least try and teach some of these players how to defend. Harry Maguire, after heroics, him and uh, Onana in midweek, must have looked at a fixture list and gone, did it have to be that game next? <laughs> Can we not try and ride this a little bit? <laughs> this is it. Your emergency cover defender is supposed to play like minutes here and there. Yeah. He is not supposed to be starting week in, week out and then like getting the City game. That's not supposed to be what's happening. No, and look, I was told last season... You can't just blame it on Rob Holding. I just want to update still. This guy's still not played a Premier League minute for Palace. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Um, Good defence at Palace, though. <laughs> well, they're in an injury crisis as well. Roy said he was struggling to put a team together. Roy's going, come on. I'm not taking the piss. Here. United had scraped past Brentford, Sheffield United, when Dallow is being relied upon for a 30-yard, one of the top bins to get you past Sheffield. And Copenhagen... Which, if, if they could have scored that penalty, that would have been dreamland. I was, I was willing it. Um, yeah, they were reminded here, really, what they're all about. It was, don't get too ahead of yourselves. So you mean winging it in these games wasn't <laughs> going to be sustainable against Man City? If Strange. City had been inclined in the same way that Liverpool were a year ago, they could have scored eight. And it's... I mean, I, I I know what City are, but we've had this in, in multiple City United games now where they've just had them, they can do what they want to them, and for whatever reason, they just don't put the foot on the gas. This it's, wasn't uh, it's annoying. as bad as the 2-0, where the 2-0 one they had was just dull for everyone. I felt at least on this occasion, they did make very clear to United, we could do whatever we want with you. Yeah. yeah. yeah, they were, yeah. like Towards the end, they were doing game management, where they would scare them, get to the edge of their box and be like, now nah, we'll do it again. And then they would just turn back and then start again and build. And that's where the third goal comes from. It's just, mm. they're passing it around as if it's a training exercise, literal game management, showing for the pass, making them run around, really winding United up. It's a really nice goal, that. And yeah, then, it is. If it's not in like garbage, basically almost garbage time at this point, we're probably falling over that yeah, goal. Jo- yeah. because Johnny Evans yeah. not following Haaland in, it's, it's a choice. 
Much like the manager not playing the defensive midfielder was a choice. It wasn't a good choice. <laughs> yeah, when you said we can't give Johnny Evers any blame, I think we can give him some blame. <laughs> He's yeah. not good enough for United. There was also a few things I, he could have done mean, better. I mean, so like, Tan Hard can't complain because it's like, no, no, no. Why am I out here, basically? And I'm sure he felt that while he was out there. He'll back himself to do a job. He, he, he called that uh, game against Burnley away one of the best days of his life. This is a guy who believes in his heart of hearts, I should not be playing Premier League football anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so he's now playing in in, in the Mank Derby. Well, it's like last year when we were, you know, repeatedly starting Milner in games. It's like, that's because you've not built your squad well enough because yeah. he shouldn't be starting games. It's not supposed to be happening. Um, I know you referenced the ineffectiveness of, of Rashford early on, at, at least outside of uh, this part we were chatting up during the game. With his sprints up to the edge of the area was a thing that you were picking up on. And then just slow down, stop. Don't make a decision. Don't pass or shoot. Just kind of do nothing. It's just, oh. he, had, he, had he had a couple one, of chances to really get in behind and just, I don't know. He had one real chance which Walker butchers defensively and he doesn't make the keeper work to save it. Looking back, that's a great chance, isn't it? Yeah. When you look at it, I mean... I thought everyone in a City friend. shirt played well. I thought Rodri was a bit clunky on the ball at times but reacted fast enough to prevent anything happening from some heavy touches. Grealish, I thought, was about as expansive as he gets with this version of his game. Foden was popping up in all the right places. Gary Neville was acting like he'd never seen Bernardo Silva play football before. He was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of what he does. Walker won all but one duel with Rashford. Edison made the big saves when he needed to. From front to back, they were perfect. But Four United always started a bit shaky, but then again, it was fine. The big United allowed them to be. A lot was yeah, a lot of complaints yeah. about the game that we had with City a few weeks back. It was it was two teams that had this tactical battle with each other and that's what played out was a stale game really where neither team wanted to do anything that they thought the other manager might have preempted. I think Ten Hag thought he was doing that he at least thought he was taking the game in a certain way but opening the game up against City and saying well we'll beat you with this it's also an example of like how Mount on Framrabat in theory is an attacking move but by basically just surrendering your structure, you you aren't more attacking because you have nothing to build from. And like mm-hmm. you said, they can play through you. Mm-hmm. You're a team that's probably a bit shaky confidence-wise anyway. Once City start dominating the ball even more, and you know they can play through you. How are you going to decide to bomb forward, which you're going to need to do at some point to get a goal? How are you going to do that knowing what they can do to you? Just, I don't know. He, I thought he put his team in a, a difficult spot. The only explanation I could have for the Amrabat one was that he thought he's on a yellow card, he might get sent off. But, I mean, we're not... You tell him, right, give me 20 minutes and don't do anything stupid, can't you? Just- mm. the, the the Foden celebration was cool with Haaland kind of gesturing for him. You you have your moment here. The fight that this United side shows doesn't translate through in big tackles, winning your headers, running harder, or just being stronger mentally when it gets tough. What we saw in the last 15, 20 minutes of the game was just sheer petulance. Kicking players as they go past you, shoving people because they, they dare be annoyed at you fouling, or just waving your arm at teammates for performing just as badly as you are. It's all entirely performative. It's all to look like, look, I care. Look how much I'm trying. Look how much fight I'm showing. That You had a whole game to do this. Arsenal had it years ago with a few players. Xhaka had a bad habit of doing it. But where they would like, basically for the last five minutes put themselves about and kick and it was like see I have been trying it was like, 
you had the whole game to do this. We know what you're doing. But when, United are the worst for it. Bruno and Anthony are two of the worst I've ever seen I for it. When Doozy was bad for it, and we got a bit of a reputation with it, and the first chance he got Arteta said, it, it reflects poorly on you yeah, yeah. as a manager, as a captain, mm. as a team. What were you going to say, sorry? Yeah, I just think Anthony, his defence of, oh, that wasn't me with stuff that he's been alleged to do. Let's, let's, be, let's be steady. Yeah. And then I can see Byron writing down the time already. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes later. You, you may hear something here, you may not. But Gary Neville, because we've seen it so many times before, right on cue said, Bruno's now going to start kicking people. He and called it. To be fair. <laughs> I think if he'd really been paying attention to his monitor while commentating, then he'd have gone in harder on Anthony for the shake of the head when um, Garnacho was substituted. Yeah, yeah. That pair are two of the nastiest piece of work <laughs> in the history of this league. And it's snide the way they do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They aren't in your face like a Stoke side that basically said, we are bastards. What are you going to do about it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's bitch. It's just bitches. Yeah. They're, they're spoiled brats. Nowhere near good enough to get away with that no. either. You've got to be a top tier player to do that. that if they f- could, they would take the ball and go home. They would have yeah. stopped the game, taken and gone down the dugout. That Anthony kick on, on Doku, presumably for doing some stepovers, is the most ironic of all of the reasons to be upset. This was a player doing the same thing as FC Sheriff. At least Doku's picking on someone their own size, even if that only is in principle. And Doku's skill leads to something, yeah. you know, rather than just spinning around on the spot and doing Smacking his hand away like that, well wrapping his hands around his baggy cuffs like he's wearing his dad's suit. <laughs> it's, this, is, this is what happens though when the manager excuses it. He saw Bruno doing it against Liverpool after holding seven and made him captain. I remember yeah. Hannibal did it while they were five down against you and the crowd were cheering and they were loving it and saying, at least this guy's showing fight. They are everything they argue they aren't. In, in years gone by, their fan base would boil this kind of criticism down to jealousy or bitterness. None of us are any of those things. They're just harsh truths for a fan base that is just spoilt and they just don't want to accept any of this. Chelsea have been getting pumped for most of the last 18 months. Some of these players will be accused of not having fight for doing some of these things. But if you know you're beat, what what good is it doing? There's There's ways to apply yourself and we can all point at players that are literally just running in those last minutes. Oxlade-Chamberlain was actually a very good example of it for us. We'd be getting battered and Walcott as well. And he's sprinting in the 96th minute and people say, he can hold his head up high when he comes off here. Hmm. You can have a bit of bite about your game and it's one of the things that is probably best about Bruno's game when he applies it properly. But to be so blatant like that, he, he hits a point in a game when he knows it's not going for him and he just picks a battle with a ref and he makes it me against him. The best United sides that we hated, they battered the refs, but we now know that they were coddling them all between all of those moments, telling the ref what lovely bloke he was, what are you doing for Christmas? Bruno battering the ref for 90 minutes, what good is that? Is that doing? It's making no. everyone at home think you're a prick. And all of those refs think it as well. Yeah, yeah. the refs were all And then think that, that interview we did last year where he said... I've never thrown my hands up and stropped at a teammate. Yeah, yeah. If only we had some way of verifying this, I don't know, <laughs> some footage or something. It's just odd that so, several pundits only seem to be awoken to it yesterday. Roy Keane yesterday going, I think I saw it today. That man shouldn't be captain of Man United. This is what he, he's been doing this since he joined the club. Yeah, yeah, this is and his so character. A fellow was screaming into the void saying it. Yeah. It's just, he doesn't, now doesn't have the numbers to back it up anymore. 
Yeah, this is he's kind of you can put up with it when he's stat padding, but when he can't. Well, I think Ten Hag doesn't feel he can drop him because of the personality he has. But he clearly doesn't think he fits into this system or he would have a position for him. Well, the- He's shifting between the right and the middle. And in the second half, he says to Mason Mount, one of you go right and one of you go in the middle. Yeah, figure it out. Well, the beauty for us with Bruno is that United as a club and as a fan base, basically they will not follow the breadcrumbs back to Bruno for a long time. <laughs> so for those of us who want them to stay shit, Great news because I don't think I don't think you can do anything with that guy unless you have to have ten perfect players around him mm-hmm. because he's just such a liability. He can't do the things you need to do. Even someone like Madison at Spurs, you know, he's not going to be put himself about putting in nailing challenges, or whatever. But he does enough work to justify the fact that I can be the creative force for this team. You look at Bruno; it's like it's like there's a hole in the team, mm-hmm. and. United don't have either the attitude or the fitness in the rest of the team to make up for the fact that this guy is a bit of a passenger. And he's not, certainly at the minute, and I don't think in general, good enough to be a passenger. I don't think he's a luxury player that you can carry. I don't think any team does carry a player now, but certainly not this United team and certainly not a player of his quality. You've got to be unbelievable talent. I mean, he's very, very good, but he's not quite that tier, I don't think. If you asked a lot of these United fans who they'd rather have, and it's Bruno, Erdegaard, Sabozlai, Madison, Paqueta, I think a lot of them would still say Bruno. For I sure. think if you asked yeah, anyone else to rank this the is what order, I mean. It's great news. Yeah. Yeah. They don't see it. So that's that's what I'm saying. Carry on. If you asked Arsenal fans to rank the order in which they would take all of them, now, I think most of us would still say we would take Erdegaard. I can guarantee you Bruno is going to be last for almost every single one of those mm. lists. Because and I is, think if you asked the managers which they would have, then he'd be last on yeah, a lot of those lists as well. Because you, and you do have the attitude thrown in as well. You do have you. He'd be someone who, if Eric Cantona right wasn't as good as he was, United would have just bombed him straight out because all the sort of the eccentricities, whatever that went alongside him, wouldn't have been worth it. Mm-hmm. But he was so good that it was. Now Bruno's a slightly different character to this, but you get some downside to him that just the juice isn't worth the squeeze at this point. The thing regarding taking the captaincy off him I don't look around and know who you give it to so Connor raised this earlier he said who would you give it to the only viable contender at this point is someone who they tried to sell very recently and that'd be McTominay because he's playing well he actually cares about the club that's clear and I I don't know I think would carry it well enough but also he's not a guaranteed starter the club did try to sell him I think it almost I, I don't really know that you could give him the, the arm man so at that point it almost certainly goes to Rashford and then they say and his attitude you go like well that's what I'm saying they're going to say he leads by example I think in what way does that man lead by example no, well I'm saying the numbers he puts up they're going to say this is a guy who doesn't have to do the talking he's going to do it that way it probably his body language is horrible it's probably in these games Johnny Evans if they're doing it by <laughs> literally who is the most well suited to this job Maguire wasn't doing a bad job of it. He was fronting up every single time to speak to the media when they were getting caned like this. Yeah, yeah. Even whether it was his fault, it wasn't his fault. But his thing became, again, they tried to sell him and you're not guaranteed to play. It's got to be... So you, you get hooked. It's got to so. be Varane or Casemiro then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Casemiro does not lead by example, so it probably has to be Varane. Lissandro, maybe. But he, he's one that starts... I can say throwing his weight around. That's not going to get him very far. <laughs> Kicking out at people when it's not going his way. He's like that as well. This yeah. just goes right through this United team. Mm. And the manager, I think you can get away with a bit of it. I think if Arteta saw 
I'm trying to think of a player that it could be believable for. I think Gabriel Jesus does does have a habit of when it's not going his way, he'll either try too hard and he'll shoot from where he shouldn't shoot from. He'll drop deeper than he should drop deep. But he also gets more aggressive and he channels it in the wrong way. And I do believe if it started becoming a hindrance for the team, if it was something that was affecting him or it was just as petulant as this, that he'd be told about it. And I think the same for Liverpool. I, I don't know who the equivalent would be of Liverpool that could maybe do... I don't think... Have we seen any such incident with Darwin since the Crystal Palace game no. in which he was sent off? No. Because very quickly he's gone, you're costing your team and you don't you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darwin is still... And, for all the faults he has, every bit of bite in his game, I don't feel he's lost that because he's not headbutting someone or niggling no, no, someone. No, no. He's still putting himself about, he's still throwing himself into the challenges, but in the right way. There's ways of doing it. And if he was doing it from minute one, then that'd even be more acceptable. It's literally just when they're losing is what makes it so it's, much worse. It's when the game is gone. It's when it's too late. Yeah. Now I'm going to start putting myself about a bit. Yeah. It's just so transparent what you're doing when just you do that. Looks like toys out the pram types. Yeah. Mm. So it is, it's all gone wrong. I'm just going to start kicking lumps out of people. Mentioned Cartman earlier. That's probably how that man would play football if it was. <laughs> um, the style of play, Ten Hag, if we were really going to simplify it, I think he tries to play expansively. That's not going well against the lesser sides. And then against anyone really in the top eight, he says, don't lose. <laughs> it's kind of how this works. And, They've only led at Old Trafford for 29 minutes in that, the league this rough. season. Mason Mount was supposed to be a player that allowed them to do this and be more expansive. Alongside Bruno, they were supposed to have the security of Casemiro behind them. I don't think I saw him after coming on yesterday. No. He looks Matt, like he's shrunk into that role. He touched the ball 14 times in the Jesus. second half compared to Amrabat's 19. He completed eight passes out of 12 attempts. None of them made their way into the final third of the pitch. Now, I'm really he upset. said after the game, in the first half, we had a very good game plan and the execution was very good. They had two shots on target. They had less than 40% of the ball. Obviously, they aren't going to try and out Tiki Taki United, uh, out Tiki Taka City, I'm sorry, but I don't know that the, the pragmatism or the, the way they try and do it I think he's he's holding them back ultimately. Yeah, well, we said before there is a line between counter-attacking and just hanging on for dear life. You don't just have to sit in and just pray, which is what it seems to be a lot of the time. But the second half, I thought the biggest criticism was I didn't know what the plan was. So that didn't it. seem to be a plan. First half, okay, you've gone in one nil down. I don't think it's very good as he said, but I think it was okay. I thought they were okay. I think the second half, I didn't know what the plan was. I don't think they did. I think Wolves are a shining example of what. It looks like when a team is sitting back and then when they do turn the ball over, what their plan is with the ball. Mm. They, they, show, they do it quite well. Um, whereas United don't do that at all. It's like they break out pass. They have two players making the same run and then don't choose either of them. I saw that multiple times. You get, um, like we said earlier, Rashford run to the edge of the area. Then no one knew whether to put it in behind or to play it to feet. Him and Hoyland not wanting to pass to each other is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's a shame. Exactly. They should pass to each other, exactly. lads. It'd be a good idea. Wolves showed the rest of the league how to play United in that they do not track runners in the middle of the park and you can just run through it and they'll keep backing off. 
Well, I mean, is, they made Wolves look fairly expansive. <laughs> like yeah. That is not the word I would use to describe but Wolves. Just follow on from, from what you've said in terms of a game plan in the first half. Is, is it as much as he's presenting himself to be the opposite, is this not a manager that's questioning himself? If at 1-0 down here, if you're playing that pragmatic game, you take off your defensive midfielder. Yeah. Would any other manager in the league, whether they're arrogant, stupid, whatever, choose to play City for 45 minutes without a defensive midfielder on the pitch? Well, we've got them in a few weeks. <laughs> they're running out. I mean, McAllister is closer to that. I guess, yeah, he's a, he's a perfectly acceptable uh, version, isn't he, I guess. the uh, Yeah, I I think the biggest concern for Tanner Hag this year is that you were looking, I think, to see, okay, last year, good first season on paper, got in the Champions League, got a trophy, got to another final as well. You you knew you had to be pragmatic because this team couldn't do what you wanted to do. You're not going to come in and try and play a certain brand of football because it's not capable of it. This year you had a little bit more. Of, you got more of your own players in, invested more again. You've had more time to work with them, and you would think there would be more of a style of play. And there is like there's no sign of what the style of play is or what they're trying to build towards. At least with you know Arteta in the dark hours, you kind of knew. Okay, I know what he's trying here, even if they're not pulling it off yet. United, it's like. Let's just get through this week. Every week. Every week, just say, let's just try and get through this game. And it's that's kind of like a manager on survival mode. They've they've lost five of ten games so far this season. And that's why... You said the, the games they've won, they could easily have lost or drawn. But that's why I meant when I said his pragmatism is holding them back. Like early Klopp, early Arteta, even Pep to a lesser degree. The results weren't always what the fans were hoping for. With us, certainly they weren't. But they suffered through it internally for the greater good. His constant leaning on the kind of tactics that someone like Roy Hodgson has criticised for at yeah, Palace, yeah. it's, as you say, it's just kicking the can down the road to the next week. There's no muscle memory in their play and that's just not how a big side runs. It makes it impossible to get the right players through the door as they have no idea what they're building to. If Rashford even had just a good season for most of last season, he's probably not in a job now. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it did paper over some cracks, didn't it? Rashford basically just lighting them up. And he's when never, the goals dry up for him, which it's been shown he's relatively streaky, then we've, where's their threat? We've had this with managers before. If all of us sat here supporting a rival club, hope that man stays in a job. Yeah. That's not the right, that's not the right man for the job. <laughs> um, you can see why, why Jadon Sancho was irritated now. He didn't do enough on the pitch to really justify it but if the same people are getting the same opportunities time and time again Mm. then I wouldn't be apologising to that man either and I say weekly I respect the hell out of the fact that he hasn't buckled at this point and he said I'm actually still going to be here longer than you yeah I think that I was just about to say that I think he's sat there thinking exactly that where I'm just going to sit here nice and nice and easy you're not going to be here soon yeah and I'm just going to make my chance then. Oh, this, uh, yeah, I just... You've got to show me something. Yeah. But in terms of your own performance, I just... Mm. Yeah, I just... This, I still this, think, like, if he'd played a few games this season, because he's, he's played one game, right? If he played minutes this season, I think he would have got more than some of the players well, that have come I don't out. think he's worse than Anthony. No. So in, in but I don't know how much better he is. The Athletic did a big thing this week on the situation there. Um... In pre-season, he played as a false nine. And look, we played terrible. He looked good 
against us. Uh, here's Dwight Gale. Um, <laughs> they say that, look, what happened was before the Arsenal game, he knew already he wasn't going to be playing Sancho. And so what Ten Hag makes them do is, look, you're bibbed up and you're expected to replicate Arsenal. And this is my start on 11. They're going to try and play out and do what they do. So Sancho knew that he's supposed to be Arsenal in this occasion and he's not pressing like he's supposed to be. I'm not being Martinelli, he says. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you. That's a lot of work. Ten Hag called him out in front of the team. Okay. Then he kind of goes back to the dressing room. He's told, you know, you're not going to be in the squad. So obviously he's even more pissed off. And then he's sat at home and he sees this press conference, which supposedly Ten Hag had been preparing all weekend for. He knew they were going to raise it and he knew that he was going to call him out. They told Sancho that not only does he have to apologise to Ten Hag, which they say he was debating whether he was going to do, Ten Hag has to be allowed to go to the press and tell them Jaden Sancho has apologised to me. And supposedly the second part of that is what Sancho takes the issue with, is that it's between me and you. You then don't need to go. Yeah, yeah. You can say, we've we settled, settled it. Yeah, yeah, easy. Which they, they almost want, every other top manager would do, by the way. They say that they were going to put a statement out and basically, like, holding the flags up. Jadon Sancho has apologised. <laughs> he can now come back into training. And that just smacks of the supply teacher who's desperate for some authority. They're not or letting the him... work that knows people don't respect him, so he's desperately trying to get some. They're not letting him that. in the canteen at work. He has a he has to wait for all the academy players to get changed. I saw all this. He can then yeah. go in himself and That's get changed. mad. And they do his food in the canteen. They put it in a packed lunchbox and they send it across the training ground to him because he's not allowed in the uh, restaurant but with the other players. That is mad. And you want to talk about creating a bigger problem than needs be. Yeah. You're basically isolating someone like that over basically nothing and this isn't a protocol either by the Latin this looks like it's been designed just for him we've heard of players yeah. so though why have they gone to this effort kind of, I can see why you'd feel targeted in his yeah. shoes there's also there's players that are going to take this lying down I don't know what you know of Jaden Sancho like everything about him where he's from in London that makes you think he's going to take this lying down and but, say uh, also <laughs> with, due, with due respect to Jaden I also don't look at him and go well you know what this guy's going to be traumatised if he doesn't play so he's going to bend to what he's, he, he seems exactly like well, if you don't play me I'll happily not play mm. I think we could have done anything with someone like Suarez and he would have done anything to play I think mm. certain players will go I'll do anything to get on the pitch I think Jaden will go if you fuck me off then I'll sit and collect the wage no problem the thing is though if, don't blame you, him. if you think about if someone did that to you at your workplace, what the fuck would you do in that situation? I'll tell you, if I was paid that amount of money, I don't know. Yeah, this sounds yeah. fantastic. <laughs> it's, still, it's still a level of disrespect yeah, no. though. Where no, that's that's the can, thing. I think you... Especially if you were being treated entirely differently yeah. to everyone else. I'd understand if you'd done anything like extreme, but... Actually, Cole shot an intern with an air rifle. And he didn't get <laughs> yeah, yeah. The punishment just does not fit no. Sancho's crime here. So no. some of it, isn't new. So players have been isolated from the team in training. They're forced to train on their own. They are told that, you know, they have their lunch at a different time to everyone else because the schedule is, you know, they're trying to keep this guy, this bad influence away from the team. They aren't barred from the premises. They aren't all of these things. They're still seeing these players. And by all accounts, it seems Sancho is quite popular. Like we know that he's friends with Rashford. We know there's other players he's, he's popular with. 
I think it's very transparent when certain things come out in the media and they say, you know, other players are getting quite wound up by some of his antics and things. It's like, if someone is late for work constantly, maybe if he's then starting every game, I'm going to be annoyed, but probably not going to be that pissed off where I want the guy banned from. <laughs> there's, al- there's also, and look, I'm not going to go into what it was. You've had two players at this club who have been accused of something very serious and the club has tried to basically manage them as best they can. Yeah. In Sancho's shoes, you're going to look like, so I'm some sort of villain here yeah. whilst you're doing everything you can for these guys. And look, maybe they should, maybe they should to those players, but he would then say, you should do the same for me. Mm-hmm. It's the such a weird... Yeah, yeah I forgot the timestamp for Jack Hula. I didn't write it down, so... Nice. That's we, um, anything Jack has said, I mean, I don't think he said anything really. It can't be said because it's his public record at this point. Nothing. He didn't say anything explicit. I did so, say allegedly as well, which kind of absolves you from all guilt. And as say I said anything, previously, as you said that. <laughs> at Jack J. Harper, if you need his address, <laughs> happy to provide. <laughs> um, the last thing on the, on the style then, it only really works if you have someone that's going to take the few chances that you do make. Rashford has one in nine this season in the league. Hoyland, zero in seven. 007. They're writing think pieces about Kai Havertz. He's got as many goal contributions as that pair combined. Is that the yardstick that you want to use? What one guy is getting far more flack yeah. than everyone else. That's, Maybe that's, they need to get Hoyland yeah. a charity penalty, uh, that, is what I'm saying. That is true. Like Hoyland seems to be avoiding a lot they've done an incredible job of this because I haven't seen anyone I mean maybe they've just got so many problems (laughs) for example everything I've just said about Bruno I would also say still not near the top of their problems it's still not the biggest problem they've got it's just if you're going to mention him then you have to follow up with and we can see he's got potential but yeah I wonder you know I certainly his first few games I thought yeah this player looks like he's got something I wonder if we could be halfway through this season and still going Oh, come on, give him a bit of time. He's like, he hasn't scored. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Well, Ten Hag took him off and Has said... Has he completed a game yet? He always takes him off. Well, he said his body's not used to playing three games a week yet. Probably wouldn't have spent 80 million on the guy that can't yeah. play three games a week when I'm expected to be competing in the Champions League and all of these things. Eras might come to an end. They've now lost as many games post-Fergie at Old Trafford now lost as many games at Old Trafford post Fergie as, they, as Fergie did. Incredible. There you go. Um, the chasm, if I just reel some of these stats off to you and then that's the last thing on the game. According to Opta, since Guardiola joined City in 2016, they've now earned 145 more points than United. They've won 60 more games in the Premier League and scored 229 more goals. Damn. <laughs> BBC Manchester outside Old Trafford asking for score predictions pre-game. Multiple fans said they would take a 2-0 loss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you probably would in their shoes, but yeah. God, that's horrible. I don't know how much of the post-game either of you watched. It's a really good chat they had, I thought. Jay- Jamie Carragher refusing to allow Neville to blame the Glazers for the 150th time. He said, right then, so nobody can level any kind of criticism or debate against Ten Hag and Manchester United because it's all the Glazers' fault. Yeah, but I thought I thought actually generally their whole discussion was very sensible. They didn't, they had that heated, but without going, we're just going to shout at each other. Yeah. They, I wonder if someone's had a word because they really scaled it, scaled it back, and it was, it was a really good discussion. I thought Carragher's points were really good repeatedly, but one of the ones that I thought was watching them, where's like the coaching from Ten Hag? Who has he made better? 
None of the players have improved, uh, which is what you would have expected from him coming in, I would have thought. And you've seen it case in point within game management where he's made his team worse. And his subs last year were good. So yeah. it's like he's getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Did you see his, subs this year been did you see his quote about style of play? Because it's bad. Ten Hag? Yeah. Is it where he oh. said that he doesn't want to have all of the ball he, he wants. He said, so this was yesterday. Yeah, right. They said, when will you be able to play the same football with Man United that you showed with Ajax? He said, never. We will never play that football because those were different players. That's also not why I came here. We're playing different football than I showed at Ajax because I have to because I can't play the same way. The players decide how you play. Ajax has a very typical and characteristic style of play. With Manchester United, I will always show different football. I did so last year as well. We play much more direct football here because I have the players for that here. He's bought eight of them. Also, he's bought all the players from Ajax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They should be they should be able to play that way. The the coaching thing you said is spot on and he does just seem to be absolved of that. He does talk well to the press in that he kind of tells them what he wants to say and doesn't accept a lot back. Hard I don't know, it's very, very rough, but doesn't seem to be much pressure. Um No, it certainly seems the club don't have aren't putting any pressure on him which to be honest they may as well not sack him at this point because but also, I don't know who they're going to get in it so. doesn't have to be tiki tacker it just has to be a little I, the Look, way we all knew they were going to lose to City but it's just about showing something in that game where you even like the fans can take away and go okay this is what we'll cling to there's nothing even under Ollie they had some famous wins against City we, might, hmm. they, we probably did a better job with worse players. I think you have to play in a way yeah. that it at least feels like the outcome the outcome of the game is in your hands. The way they play, they're expecting the other team to do something wrong or their first focus is on what the other team can do. And There's ways of doing it. Alex Ferguson didn't play tiki-taka football, but you also felt like the majority of the time the game was within their control. Like they were asking you to do this doesn't feel like that with here it's basically we can't stop you doing that so this is how we feel that we can best deal with it and yeah yeah not good um Carragher's point on Rashford was interesting as well I don't know if you saw that he basically yeah. said as good as Rashford is at Manchester United with the money they've spent Rashford should not be your best attacker he yeah. said yeah. he's not quite world class you shouldn't be relying on the amount you do He's had some good seasons, but he, he should have be the a capability. second guy. Yeah, yeah. Hoyland should be uh, presumably is going to have to be the guy who carries the scoring load, and yeah. Rashford chips in. All right, let's move on. Chelsea versus Brentford. Um, oh, just going to lose your right reaction. On Unfortunately, Jack, Chelsea are in the same boat as City in that whenever they lose it to a team, <laughs> I wish we were. No, <laughs> whenever, that'd be nice. Whenever they lose to a team considered to be one of the small ones, we do get the comparisons of uh, money spent charts yeah, coming yeah, out. Since being promoted to the Premier League, Brentford have spent a grand total of £130 million <laughs> oh, so on transfers. one of those charts for us now, thanks. Okay. Chelsea has spent more than double of that on Enzo and Caicedo. Yeah. Since being promoted in 2021, Brentford have now won three times at Stamford Bridge. I want to ask you the same question I actually started the last segment with. A lot was made at half-time of how well Chelsea had played in the opening 45. How well do you think they played in actuality? It, it, it was... I mean, there's three. There's two reasons why we lost that game. Players we had available oh. and Stamford Bridge. 
And we'll come, we'll come on to the Stanford Bridge one first. Because... Should we confirm you were there as well? I did ask that question earlier. Yeah, yeah. You thought I was being nasty <clears throat> asking <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I thought you were just uh, hoping that I was there. I was like, hoping yeah. you were there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought so. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem that we've got is the only games that we've played well this season are, are games where teams have come on to us and they've left gaps behind for us to be able to play into. When someone comes in, uh, comes Stanford Bridge in a low block... It all falls apart. And the, I mean, is we've seen that game, and I've said this before, we've seen that game a hundred times in the past couple of years, where if a team comes and plays against us and we don't get an early goal, then we get nervous because it's like, oh shit, when's it going to come? And then you get players switching off. You think you get used to it, <laughs> And it was, like I said, the problem is with Stamford Bridge at the moment as well is that you're going to get teams like Brentford who are a cohesive unit, have been playing the same team all season in a low block because they haven't got Tony. They've come there, they know their jobs, they know them well, and they're well drilled. You look at the starting lineup for us, you've got Madweke starting right wing, first start of the season. You've got Jackson's first start in five weeks. You then look at the midfield that you're trying to kind of casing to break down this low block. You've got Gallagher in Caicedo because Enzo is injured. You no. Just listen to me. Just no, me. but he's not hey. injured. Oh. Potch said he was rested. Well, he wasn't even in the squad. No. Well, I've got a question about that in just a second, so That's you can hold that thought. Oh, God. Well, Enzo's not in the team anyway. Uh, yeah. And then you look at the right flank and you're playing Dezazi's first time playing right back when you're asking him to be creative. You're not asking him to sit back and soak up pressure and do the defensive work. Your right back is try- there has to be another attacker in these games with a low block. So you look down that right-hand side and you've got Maswek and Dezazi. I have no idea what they're doing. Then you've got Sterling, who's just decided to have one of the games that we know Sterling can have, where he just doesn't care. And so you look at that and you think, Madweke, like 10 minutes in, he hits the bar. And we're thinking, right, okay. And then the nerves start happening. You see Cole Palmer's like, it was basically, get it to Cole Palmer and see what he can do with it. And he did unlock a few doors. We're just being us, we can't score them. Cook hitting it straight at the keeper. And the problem you get then is that it gets to 35 minutes at Stamford Bridge and it's really quite bad at the moment where the life goes out of the crowd completely. We're a bit lively to start with. We've hit the bar. We're getting behind the team. But then the seed of doubt starts to grow because we've seen this game so many times before, like I've said, and you get the groans. And I've, I've been watching other games just to see if everyone groans like we do. <laughs> But you get, like Anfield, for example, someone groans when they lose the ball. They, or if they turn back from a promising attack, everyone goes, ah. Oh. But then they, there's a roar. And, back and then there's it, a yeah. roar and they get behind the team. Whereas at Stanford Bridge, it really, there's no roar. So it's toxic. It is. It's a bad atmosphere at the moment. And it has been for a while because it's cyclical, right? The, the team has to give us something to cheer about. Mm. And if we don't even think that there's a chance of a scoring, which in most of the games when we come up against low blocks, there isn't unless there's a penalty or there's something like that, right? So we don't get excited at all. We don't need, if, if I wasn't in the Matthew Harden already standing, I wouldn't be standing if I was in the West Stand getting out my seat. And it's almost like when we can see, we know the script because we've seen it before. Yeah. It happened this time where I'm slightly unsighted to the right hand side of me and I can, I can just about see the goal. I see the ball come across. I see Sterling just decide not to run and track, <laughs> track his runner. And I, I've, I've seen this before and I see the ball go over into the thing and I see the net ripple before the Brentford fans start cheering. I just know. 
Ah, oh, here we go again. So, sorry, I've I've complete. I've gone a bit of a rant, and I've fucked yeah, up I've, all of your structure. You have the, go go through the structure again. Oh well, the one the, well, I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I I would disagree with Brentford with Tony or not, we're going to play the exact same way. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But if you look at the games that we played well in, like Fulham, they felt like we could get something from the games. They came on to us. And it doesn't help that our two most attacking, informed players at the moment, Mudrick and Brozier, just on goals alone, not minutes, but goals <laughs> alone. Palmer, please. Goals alone. Then we're missing those. And you're, ex- you're trying to get a low block with players that exploit space. And we just don't have that. Outside of Sheffield, I actually think Fulham might be the worst team in the league. And they are just terrible. Holy I smokes. think if you had to play against any team in the league, and I say that as a team that drew with them when they end the game with 10 men, I'm still not over that Calvin Bassey performance against Spurs last week. <laughs> that is, that could have been, if we were doing for any team, that might have been my answer for the Halloween question at the start. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thomas Frank TK described Brentford's first half performance as average, if not a little less than that. In hindsight, do you think part of the first half in that Chelsea were considered to have played so well was that Brentford weren't on it? Maybe. Maybe, but I don't know. Brentford away at Chelsea, you're probably expecting the emphasis is on Chelsea, good or bad. And I thought they were probably, I thought they were pretty good value in the first half. I didn't think it was, oh my god, this is the blueprint. This is what Chelsea going to do. But I thought it was a decent half, and you'd expect them to build on it in the second. Brentford were but, poor as well, though. But yeah, I'd say Chelsea didn't allow them to do an awful lot because you know Brentford, like you said, weren't going to come out and be massively expansive either. So I think they probably accepted we have to take our medicine, hang in here. And if Chelsea don't score, as Jack said, Brentford will know at some point we're going to get a chance. The game kind of played out, as Jack said, kind of like so many of these games have. So whilst you might have said it was a good first half of Chelsea, Brentford weren't happy with it. Ultimately, they would also probably known this was going to happen. I think this this game is well. I know we've seen it a hundred times. This is probably one of the worst ones when it comes to how we can fix it. Because there's obviously, we're not, we haven't got anything right down the the right-hand side with Dezazi, with Medweke. So we look to our bench and we bring on, the only person we can bring on is Ian Matson. We tell a 21-year-old left-back to try and play right wing against the low block. We bring on a quarter-fit Reese James and he was probably our most dangerous player. Where was he playing? I couldn't even tell you because it was just a muddle. <laughs> Anywhere. Yeah. It was, I'm going to ask you about Ian Matson because he maybe disgraced himself more than anyone all weekend. That, the jump at the end, yeah. <laughs> Bad. Um, Coincidentally, a quarter fit Reese James can now just be called Reese James. I think. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> However, I mean that he hasn't started a game since the start of the season, and he played 15 minutes at the end of the last game. And I saw someone minutes. who was clearly getting a little drunk on the first half, going so excited to think what this Chelsea team can do when they get consistent. Uh, Reese James and Chill are consistently available. What evidence <laughs> have you got that either of those things is going to happen? What? Yeah, Arsenal with. Uh, Fully fit, Diaby, Riziki and Wilshire. <laughs> yeah, like, clinging on to that. So, Enzo was rested, played a lot of games recently, I believe was uh, the explanation. So, he didn't even have a place on the bench. I think that's Does this say more about Enzo's real importance to the team or how Pochettino viewed this fixture? Um, Neither, really. I Let think, me throw something else in the look, mix then. I, I think... This Can is I? the one game where you need multiple playmaking midfielders. Like I don't understand that. If to break down a team. Like it, you could, you're not going to do a lot of running in that game because you're going to have most of the ball. 
um, what you do need to have is concise passes. And watching Caicedo and Gallagher run into five people in the middle of the park consistently, <laughs> it was just so frustrating. I, I'm no Conor Gallagher fan. Even I can see the way he scapegoated by online Chelsea fans yeah, at the very least. Yeah. He was not the problem no. on, on Saturday. No. Some strong um, Jordan Henderson vibes to Conor Gallagher. Yeah. He, whereby he, I think when you, when you get a win or whatever, you're going to go, I can see the value of this guy. Yeah. When you get the loss, he's one of the first that gets the... The, the thing is, he is really good at what he does. Attacking isn't one of those things. And we're asking him to do that at the moment because... Caicedo isn't. Caicedo, well, that's, has, that's Caicedo if, has the weirdest running style, by the way. Seeing it in the flesh. If I, he, like waddles. If Caicedo is is doing it's a lot of money for a waddler. If a if Caicedo is is doing his job, and I don't think it's being unfair, he should at least be playing at the level of Declan Rice. Yeah, yeah. And if he's doing his job, then maybe Conor Gallagher isn't needed in the team. We know. Look, I, I had to say the same about Xhaka at some point. If every manager is picking him. Then maybe there's he's something. not the maybe he's not the problem because there's clear level of trust there that he's um, enforcing or at least clearly uh, deserves. Does this tell us as much about Pochettino's job security? If he felt it was on the line due to the start that you've had, would he be resting his 110 million man when he's far from sitting pretty in the league table? No, I mean probably the the answer. I. I think his job's pretty secure. If we look at... Yeah, should his job be on the line? If we look... Well, no, the, if we, uh, Chelsea, we, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, the position you are on the table. I, I genuinely think, I genuinely think that you're not going to judge Pochettino until we at least have some resemblance. I'm not sure I think you should, his, but I'm saying this is not a man that feels there is any pressure at all. I feel if I was Chelsea manager, the owners can be texting me every single day and <laughs> maybe I'd be more worried if this was the case, but they could give me all the assurances, your and job's safe. Think, and you'd yeah. still... There's yeah. a little something there. He clearly doesn't feel that. I th- I think that's probably what you want to a degree, because when you feel like your job's on the line, this project goes out the window and it becomes about points. And it doesn't become about bringing through players. And I, I gen- if you look at this game, the players that we had available to us, and that's not just the starting eleven, that's the players off the bench as well. If something went wrong in game, which it did, as it event eventually always does. We had nothing to salvage it with. Like I said, our, our only option was to bring on half-fit Reese James, or Reese James, as TK says, play Ian Matson in a right-wing position, and then bring on Ugawachu for in the midfield. But now the argument would be, when I read you that stat that we opened a segment with, you have more available than Brentford do. And so I, there, there, can, there can be no, no soft no, stories I, in this situation. I, I, was, I was thinking of this. I was thinking that team that started had no more attacking impetus than Crystal Palace with Zaha. With Zaha. I genuinely think that was just, we're asking... Yeah, we're not giving up Jesus. on, we're not I, giving I, up I, on Noni, Noni Madueke and Sterling. I'm not saying we have. Cole Palmer. I'm not I saying, mean, you know. No, I'm not. Those but, three he, are worth more than the Brentford 11. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying that they're not worth, I'm not saying that we haven't paid that money for them. But I'm just saying. They've got injuries as well. I'm saying, Enrico right. Henry's Nicholas Jackson just a body now as well. Right. Just give, have we given up? You're about to ask him about him. Look at, look at Zaha. Look at Elise, look at Eze. I don't see... I thought you were talking peak uh, when Zaha was carrying them. No, I'm I'm thinking, if you look at that team... How the hell has Zaha come into this? I don't know, it's an old hundred. I'm just just saying that there's the same parallels of creativity within both teams. 
I'm saying if you ask that's a good, that's a good attacking lineup. If you, it, yeah, exactly. If you ask Crystal Palace to break down a low block, which they're not used to doing, or don't have the toolkit to be able to do so, that's what you're asking that Chelsea team to do yesterday. Then sack Pochettino now, because if this is what that Chelsea team equates to, he had a say in these signings. Yeah, but if if you look at it, you've got Wesley Fofana, you've got Romeo Lavia, you've got Christian Kunku, you've got Mudrik, you've got Broja, not available. If if this eleven's still good enough to be Brentford, uh, yeah, it's not course. like you, no. I don't look at that team and go, no. oh fuck, how are they going to no, win? But, but this thing come, uh, so this thing comes to the cohesion, right? So you've got, like I well said, then don't rest your so you've got, supposed best player. No, no. So you've got and try and get a regular team I, player. Poch is also tinkering a bit too much. I, I don't think he's tinkering because of he wants to tinker. He's tinkering because of necessity. But even things like with what he does with Reese James, when he was like put him, you know, like you said, put him in midfield here. It's it's kind of things it, going on where he's almost overthinking certain things. Agreed. But at the same time, we, we're not breaking through that midfield. So you're probably thinking the one with creativity that can get something, either shoot from range or pick a pass, is probably we're backing Reese James over Conor Gallagher and Kai Seda from what he's shown us. And that's probably his thinking there. Now, yeah, you can say, I, I know that we've spent a lot of money, but when we've also sold a lot of players as well, that never gets mentioned. But I'm saying even with what you've got yeah, there. I'm, I'm saying with, with what we've got there, it wasn't working. And then what do we have to turn well, to? Well, if, Look at our bench. Is, from is, is the spend also not, at least partly, supposed to mitigate four injuries, for example? Yeah. So it's basically, we've got a big squad here. Yeah. So if we do have an injury if, crisis, I know it's, you've got a lot of injuries, but nonetheless. I, I know, but if you... It's not a thin squad. If you took seven starters out of either of your teams... I still think, but this is. It's been huge trouble. But if I ask you to name, if we I haven't bought that many players by if, comparison. No, so of course not. But you take the seven out. Huge problem. The seven that we've taken. The trouble. seven that we've lost there, and you look at our bench with two keepers on against Brentford, right? That bench is not coming on to affect any of the game. We can't legislate for every. Well, we can by doing due diligence and actually I'm it, doing it, medicals. Yes, yeah, some of them. Yeah. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, not like eight first team injuries not being able to play the same team week in, week out, that does have a say. It's not just as black and white as you've spent a billion quid No, I'm saying years. ignore any of our teams. If you went down and I told you to name me Brentford's best players, I'm telling you, Tony would be on that list. Rico Henry would be on that list. Kevin Sharder would be on that list. On the outskirts, you may mention Damsgaard. You may mention Josta Silva. These are all players missing from Brentford as well. Mm. And they don't have the resources you do. There is no... But they're doing two different jobs. They're playing two different styles of football. So I'm it's, saying if you take five players out of Brentford and you take five players out of Chelsea, then who should be a stronger team? That Chelsea team was good enough to beat I'm, I'm not saying it that isn't. Brentford I'm team. not saying it isn't, but then it went, something didn't work and we had nothing to turn to to make it work. You're trying to play balls round the back with a winger that's playing his first game this season, with a centre-back that's playing right back for the first game this season. And then we're wondering why we can't break a team down. This is... But that, the co- I'm talking about cohesion. You talked about muscle memory earlier with Man United. If they haven't got the muscle memory of my player's going to be here, if they're all playing with different players every week because it's the only people that it's we've got... It's self-inflicted in most of these cases. That, that we've only got fit. Then how can you expect anything other than the result that we got? I'm not saying that, oh, I went into that thinking we're going to lose the game. I'm just going into that thinking whatever happens happens I do think you're giving and maybe they've just beaten you as a submission I do think you're giving the manager and the players a bit of a pass only because without meaning to I think you're kind of presenting a situation like just with kind of the underdog in this and it was kind of how could they have beaten Brentford where I think the first half kind of showed you how you could you just can't finish your chances so there is a 
there's a way in which you could do it. And so it's not like your injuries and other things aren't a factor. But if, think, if this was against a really good team, yeah, you'd go that those those arguments hold they stand up. But it's sort of like I think Chelsea are in a good enough spot that you've got to at least think you can beat Brentford. Well, that's why we play this way of football, right? So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, we play well against a team that give us space. Let them come on to us a bit like the Ten Hag wants to do with United. Try and exploit the space a little bit because obviously this isn't working. And that's why with all the games we've played against decent opposition this season, we've actually looked like we've been in the fight against Liverpool and against Arsenal. We looked like we were holding our own and playing pretty well and getting chances. The games where we've looked terrible, it's against well-organised, well-drilled, cohesive defensive units. Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa, now Brentford. We're not going to count Luton because Luton's Luton. But what I'm saying is, is that that's obviously where we're struggling and when you're bringing on a 21-year-old Ian Matson onto right into right wing position as your game-saving hail mary, and shocked that we're not scoring that. If if we had a full fit squad, then there's different questions to answer here. Well, if we had Inkunku playing, if we had um, a number nine that was challenging Jackson that we could swap around, if we just had a team that played together for more than three games in a row then we'd have completely different questions once. Like Man United, we were tired with the same brush there a lot. They've had more games together with their starting eleven or preferred starting eleven with a few absentees, Johnny Evans, etc. We're not giving them a pass though. We're I'm, saying they're shit. I'm not saying that you're giving Yeah, but that's probably, and they've been sick. But, but, <laughs> not but, but that's my point. They've been playing together. They should be doing better. If you're getting all of these injuries consistently, how do you build a team? But then also the throwing together this number of players and expecting some sort of cohesion hey, look, is also one of the things we were pointing out with the Chelsea I, spending. I, I, I totally agree with that. Let's, uh, let's I'm, talk I'm about just, some specifics because we're getting stuck in the... But only because the, the, the way it's been brilliant is almost like this has kind of been afflicted upon you. Whereas the injuries and stuff, like you said, you can't really help. Some of them maybe you could. But the other thing of these players don't have a clue how to play together is entirely of the club's making. Like they've done this. No, yeah, I, at least I, I, I do agree. Don't with, give Enzo a rest now. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. I thought he was injured. That's a ridiculous decision. I can't believe he's let me ask you about choice, Let me ask yeah. you about um, Cole Palmer because he kept crossing the ball. He's got a very good kind of, he cuts inside and he whips it. He beats him. And yeah. I don't know if if you watched much of the day, the, the yeah. Chelsea game back. So they highlighted there just about every time that he was getting angry with Nicholas Jackson for his lack of movement. <laughs> One of them was horrible. So yeah. Why isn't he running? <laughs> I don't know if if you're running out of patience with him. The pundits seem to have run it. He he's not getting the raw attributes pass anymore. No, that's that's <laughs> slid for him. He shouldn't have scored because that's really. I, I think. With do him, not let commentators be made a fool of these pundits because they gassed him up and now they're set. They're holding him to a standard that they created. I, I do think as well. This is his first, like I said, first start in five weeks. He was suspended because he got so many yellow cards, which is a bad point of his game anyway. Wasn't, didn't start against the Arsenal game, had the international break and was suspended for the games that we won, which is why Brozier played. So he hasn't played for five weeks. So there is that. Now, am I getting frustrated with Nicholas Jackson? Yeah, but then I've been frustrated with every number nine that we've had for the last however long. I told you he should have been complimented by that Eddie comparison. Yeah. That man ain't scoring a Premier hat trick. Look, I think... <laughs> We're obviously going to buy another striker because the rumblings are that it's Tony. it's in January we're going big on a striker. And it doesn't we, sound like Chelsea. Yeah, <laughs> and we and we kind of need someone just proven that just puts the ball in the fucking net. All right, let, well let's talk about ja- Jackson. Needs to be someone that you bring in 
when the game's won, fingers crossed, and he plays against stretched defences and then learns that way. He is not going to learn how to score goals when he's playing against seven defenders camped in their own box because that is not his game. It's like asking... I mean, Darwin Nunes would be able to do something with that because he'd be able to jump around, put his body around, create some chaos. But he's not going to take the ball and intricately just find his way through seven defenders. You'd swap for Darwin if you could. 100%, yeah, I would. Um, just, that's, just that's not a radical take, is it? No, just, one, just no, chaos. Hey, some of the criticism that was levelled at Darwin, is he? Um, no. The first goal is pure Brentford. Work from a set piece, lifted to the back stick, and Pinnock says they've drilled that a hundred times. Oh, there we go. The second goal... Cohesion. <laughs> drilled a hundred times. Hey, Kai Havertz ain't getting passes for a lack of cohesion in Arsenal's team. If we... Delay the conversation about Mope for the second goal. <laughs> Where the keeper should go up if we delay the conversation on Matson's disgraceful challenge for the header. The real talking point here, the pace on Robert Sanchez, <laughs> combined with that height, he might be better off up front for you. I mean, he's... That gas when he's running back, Mope makes him look better. Yeah. But sheesh. He actually had a surprisingly okay game. Also, doesn't really seem to be spoken about. He's the only one who does sprint back. Yeah. I know he's the keeper, but someone could chase. Everyone else is just jogging. Or walking. You, could, you could see it because he's running back towards me. I'm right behind the goal. And I can just see him running back. And I can see the cogs whirring of, do I take him out? And then he decides, well, I'm actually the only keeper that we have. Yeah. So I'm just going to dive out of the way of him and just let him score. Any, the game is lost. Any freeze frame of someone that big sprinting is hilarious. And the freeze frame... You see them a lot on Twitter now where it's, it's like what, what's frame. blood doing. The yeah. one of him <laughs> dashing back is, is unreal. Um, as for Mope, that is so, so deserved. Um, I, I won't be surprised if he lost the ball just to spite my FPL team because I took uh, Mbuemo out. Ouch. But so, if you've so not what, scored... Uh, for, what, what happens? Because I haven't actually seen this bit back. Is it offside? Because he looked in front and then it, I don't know. If well, Sanchez ca- is the one that passes it eventually. Oh, is <laughs> that what it doesn't even pass it anyway. <laughs> oh, no, wow. I don't think it would have been offside. I think he is actually, because yeah. I was thinking what's, the same. I think he's technically with, behind. With the keeper, like it, being the last one, you can't pass it at all or something, is it? Or, no, I think he has to be beyond the ball, isn't it? I'm not sure. But yeah, but basically what regardless, happened, he wouldn't have been. What yeah. happened was in the ground is that they put the ball down as if it was they, they, seemed, they were confused just, in the VAR booth as well because they were taking their sweet time on that yeah, him him running back if I've not yeah, scored Lord give for, me the confidence of Neil Mope to still be that sort of shit house burst involved being that bad yeah. yeah well I said that I hoped he stayed with Everton to get relegated then he got the move to Brentford I don't want to wish Brentford down I just hope they have a good season and he gets no part of it yeah. At all. Ideally, no goals, then Tony comes back. Or it gets to January, someone's injured in Everton say, actually, get back, here, back And then they <laughs> then go they down. Then they go down. Yeah. It was, I think it's the lack of confidence that he doesn't shoot sooner. Yeah, yeah. The conversations we had last week about how simple it was to score in an open net from uh, that distance... Neil Mope disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in there literally to finish. Uh, last thing on this game. In July, Pochettino was interviewed when he took the Chelsea job. He said, in football, there is no patience. It's difficult to wait. And when you're in Chelsea, I believe it's not about asking for time. You need to deliver from day one. Football is about today, 
yesterday. You cannot talk too much long term. We cannot tell people we need six months to create because it seems not good. We need to create the belief from the beginning. Post game Saturday. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I know when there's a difficult question going to be leveled at me because Byron. Byron's eyes flit and makes eye contact with me as he reads the question. So as if like by every point he wants to see my face drop. No. So post game, he mentioned to narrow it, injuries, process, youth and luck. There actually isn't a question. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you what he said. He's changed his tune. Thanks. Other games this weekend... A couple of talking points, and then um, did you watch Fury and Garnu? Or was it me and TK um, just, uh, just the bringing it up the rear? Okay. Yeah. TK, this week Dominic Sabozlai registered his first and then second assists of the season. Does this perhaps go to show the ineffectiveness of statistics when it comes to creativity? It's a good point, yeah, because he has been unbelievable. Where's this for Hazard's uh, argument? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've something I was going to say earlier actually. I'm assuming Enzo was told before Friday that he's being rested. I had a large Papa John's with two sides on Friday. I bet you Enzo ate more than me. <laughs> I be- if you're an athlete and you're being told you're rested for the weekend, I bet that man ate disgracefully. I bet he had Papa John's and Domino's. He called them up and they said, what do you want? He said, I'll have the Lacazette order. Whatever he was getting, I'll take it. My Papa John's were so good on Friday that I forgave them for sending me the wrong garlic dip because that special garlic dip from Papa John's is it's the best. The, it's it's the better best. than the Domino's garlic and herb I'm dip. A, people want to kill you if you say that. I'm a full, yeah, I've I'm seen a full you Papa John convert. So they sent me the, the special garlic for my uh, tater tots, but they sent the wrong one for the pizza and uh, for the garlic breadsticks. Didn't finish the garlic breadsticks, but... Um, Double... Ev- Everyone's updated now. The fact it was that good. From the fact it was that good that I'm forgiven because that garlic dip is. This, this makes what Byron told us before the pod a bit more interesting. <laughs> 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 and I was just trying to uh, encourage his way. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I mean he's he's playing in our midfield three, which obviously typically you don't. They haven't been big on the goals and assists. Him and Gravenberg look like they should bring a lot more of that to the party. But yeah, he's been unbelievable anyway. Erdegaard gets the same thing where his assist numbers aren't what people would imagine them to be and it's like well maybe watch a game and you can see that this guy is a creative player that would be the the bracket that you would put him in as a creative player mm. although I think I may have said different two weeks ago mm. Sabozlai clearly a very creative player um, maybe he's not always going to be the final pass but he's he's kind of got that bit of both in that he's an athlete in there as well. He's going to get up and down. His cardio is a joke. I thought, I, I didn't know you could be handsome and have good cardio. I thought you had to choose. You either, you look like Dirk Coit and you have good cardio, but you can't have both. That's not fair. Genetics doesn't work like that. Dirk Queech. Um A hat trick, Freddie and Ketia. A mark of how bad Sheffield are, do we think, or a sign his game is changing? First goal since August, despite starting eight of the last ten and playing at least fifteen minutes in the other two. You were ready to sell up a couple last week or a couple he, of weeks ago. He tweeted before the game. Oh, what's Eddie bringing the game? Trossard isn't. isn't. <laughs> that did its job. Congratulations. <laughs> Trossard scores hat tricks as well. Look, I I actually agreed with the tweet, but nonetheless, <laughs> well, Eddie Eddie has a way of doing this. In you the, you forgot this is Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, we get. If you want a stat pad for someone? 
Eddie, the team with one point. Eddie has a way that I think there isn't an Arsenal fan out there that isn't willing him to do well. But I also don't think there's an Arsenal fan that truly believes in him. Thinks he's good enough, even as I think as a backup's fine. The issue is that there aren't many backups that have this level of responsibility in the league. Um, it's when you look at Newcastle. I saw um, an article today that said. Um, He's the least important great player in the league, Isaac, because they said that he can go down as many times as he wants and nine times out of ten, Callum Wilson is still going to find the net. They do not feel his absence. Yeah. Bulletproof Callum Wilson will always be there. <laughs> no <laughs> history of unavailability there. It works in Eddie's favour that Jesus isn't prolific either. Yeah. But yeah. I think in midweek, Mr. Box Office was box office against Seville I believe you watched the game so you uh, you understand him going off injured and then seeing the cameo from Eddie I think soured a lot of people's thoughts going into the weekend because his last few cameos the cameo against Chelsea where I don't know if he's told to slow the game up by kicking people but that seems to be all he'd done in the two games prior was just particularly when we were chasing it against Chelsea to keep holding the ball up like that just so happens, Sheffield, the first two, someone's clearly told him just not to think about things because the first one is really nice. It's probably the nicest goal he'd scored since West Ham. The touch is a joke. Yeah, the boxing, well, the boxing day game when he has that spin against West Ham, we came on here and I was being asked, should he be starting over Jesus moving forwards? The touch there is, is very good. It's, the movement's great. All of those things, it's, short it's sharp it's a nice finish the second one is actually a nice finish as well in the from that close range to just bang it top bins and if he does that another nine times he may blast over every time mm. the third one Frank that's what confidence does to a player <laughs> yeah. yeah I've not seen it verified I saw someone saying that the, the yardage there was further than all of his Arsenal goals combined <laughs> Getting in there, which is entirely believable. Yeah, that was one of those where, like, he could have been saying this is a joke or he could have been yeah. deadly serious. I believe the tweet either way. It wasn't even, like, bad keeping either, which Wes Fodderingham is shite. He's not a Premier League goalkeeper. But you could have been a good keeper in the net and it was still top bins. There were three really good goals. Yeah, he is. It's the thing that doesn't really make much sense about Eddie. When you do watch him like that, you do, yeah, this kid's got something. And then, but when he is bad, it's this guy's non-existent. Well, I said with Darwin that whenever everyone's just about done with you, he does do something and it's, oh, okay. And look, I'm not sure Eddie can do anything to Arteta that is going to make him turn off him or he's got some compromising images, one of the two, because <laughs> there's no reason he, he should have man. the minutes that he does. Um did we think the penalty decision was right in the Newcastle game? If no. I, in the same game, Lascelles lifts up a Wolves striker in the area as they go and swing for the ball and it's not a penalty. So that's just two reference points I would use. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked to me as if he gets the ball with his one leg, it bounces off his other leg, and then he takes him out with the leg that it bounces off. Now, I'm a firm believer in you got the ball first. What part of that is not getting the ball first? I just don't, I don't get it. Like, I'm not sure he did get the ball first, but I'm also not sure the contact is there. Would it surprise any of you if the lack of contact in this game ties into the Man City penalty the next day? 
Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I tend to think... Give, us we'll give it a week of a reaction <laughs> before we'll panic our way into our next decision. We'll probably have a week of getting killed. I actually initially thought that's a penalty yeah. originally, yeah. and then when they showed the replay, I was like, mm, "I'm not so sure actually." Yeah. I, don't, I can't remember Which who. The way around. I can't remember who the did he give it on field? Was. He did. He did. He? So yeah. I can't. It may have been Shay Given that was doing the game. That's so an, obje- the, that's an one, objective. One of the well, one of the pundits there said. I actually think the referee was right to give it on the field because from what we see in real time, it does look like a blatant penalty, which is then you're relying on these guys in the booth to say that's not a penalty. Now, he says their argument is, well, no, because you've given it, then we now can't overturn that. And he's like, well, that's just not right. I'm relying on you to tell me that I've made a mistake or at least to say, maybe go go and have a look at that. The thing is that we've made it such a thing now that if you go to the monitor, then you are overturning it or you're giving something. They don't want to send them to the monitor because it's then going to be a big thing if they disagree with what they've done or they go back on their own decision. Yeah. I, I do think as well it comes down to now Newcastle are, are a big team. that they're, they're going for big things and points probably... I know that Wolves are going to be in or around relegation or whatever. If they keep playing like this, maybe not. But if they perceive that this probably means more, they're bigger fan base or whatever... They're probably just thinking, well, I've given it now. I, who do I want to piss off? Newcastle fans or Wolves fans? And they probably just went with, we'll give it. <laughs> it, it, was as, it was as soft as can be. Um, oh, yeah, we missed out. We Penalty in the Chelsea game, yes or no, and Sterling? You referenced one earlier. I actually didn't know what you were talking about. Oh, okay. So no, that's no. why, Fair I mean... Then. Probably not. <laughs> not what I will say... It was one of those where Sterling's set. He's ready to like head split. I think I do know what you mean. There was so much about the United game in my mind that's kind of consumed everything. It is a basically he gets he gets pushed in the proper push from the guy. Yeah, I do remember. Think it's probably a bigger discussion. Okay, no, no, I I do know what I do know what you're referring to. I don't want to be relying on a penalty to beat Brentford anyway, or he just draw with Brentford. But that I do feel that that probably was a pen in the context of the pens that were given. They didn't give the Ollie Watkins one the other week where they said. Because he pushed him with one arm, then <laughs> this this one he like just knees him and then I've, pushes him. I thought he was taking a real chance. Yeah, if, I if I, I, I'm just thinking of contact versus the Man City pen and the Wolves pen. I think. Well, that's why I think if you take out the Man City pen, then the thing that they've tried to drive home is that if you go down more than needed so like you really exaggerate it then they're inclined to not give it and I do wonder Sterling if that's like it that. <laughs> but Rodri I mean there was not one person in the stadium that didn't know that Rodri was appealing for a penalty yeah. so that goes against um, what they've said there too VAR taking over five minutes to make a decision at Bournemouth or the crowd chat this is embarrassing I um, was on the drive home at that point and the moose on Talksport was commenting on it, and he was talking for a hundred. Mr. Tuna Pancake. He was, oh, he, was, don't. he was talking at a million miles an hour for all five minutes about how they weren't giving it. Were you and just coming up with all sorts? It was. In- I actually had to mute him. It just <laughs> hurt my ears. I just make a decision. Is your make it stop. driving to the game linked to you missing the train home two weeks ago? Did one impact? No, the other? no. I, I went with my mate last week, so it's a bit of beers afterwards, um, bit. which then just prolonged. Then I went with my yeah. dad this week. One of the uh, best things with the Bournemouth chanting was even with a crowd in unison like that, 
raging at VAR, it still sounded perfectly Bournemouth and just, just middle class enough. <laughs> this is embarrassing. It's just just sounded posh enough. I did want to say great week for my stocks as Billing and DCL both got on the score sheet. You're claiming Philip Billing? Yeah. All right. It's the first time I've heard you say his name. I've I've backed Philip Billing. I've got I'd a spreadsheet. You I've got a spreadsheet with me saying that I've got stocks in Philip Billing. I. I think I might have put you onto that stock. I think I might have sold you initially. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not having that at all. Uh, certainly, I was I was investing around the same time in that case. Um, lovely footwork from DCL. I know you don't want to give him credit. You hate English strikers. That's, but <laughs> you're, just a, you're just a kid who gets carried away with these English strikers. Was you're just it, a kid, aren't you? Was it a nice goal? Where was Ollie Watkins this weekend? What was he doing? <laughs> you, got, you were talking about him with the Ballon d'Or last week. <laughs> DCL, I said I'd take DCL over Ollie Watkins. You wouldn't have been privy to this. I I said to him, I went back and listened to the pre-season pod where I've I've literally said, if you take away the main, you know, Haaland in the betting market, I go, Ollie Watkins could be an outside shout for Golden Boot. Within the same podcast, he's accused me of disrespecting Ollie Watkins. I couldn't, what more can I say? How more generous can I be about this guy? What? How long did it take him? 15 seconds? Just flip on him then? Maybe shows you how disingenuous it was. Will you credit the nice goal from DCL? It was a nice goal. And he... You didn't think he had that in the locker, did you? Them quick feet. Probably pulled something. I was about to say, no, I think he can do it. It's just, he'll be out for eight weeks afterwards. And then, finally, Jude made his mark in the the Classico. He's a joke, isn't he? It feels like... They were maybe sticking their fingers up to um, the English blackout, sticking that game on a quarter past three on a Saturday afternoon. It really was. But uh, loyal Bet365 customers could watch, so I was there. I was watching the arse, so... Uh, at the arse. Exactly. All right, I think that does us uh, in terms of foosball for today. Fury and Garnu was the uh, last remaining thing on the agenda. Are you staying? Are you... I'll shoot so I can listen to it when I'm on my drives. This Treat week. himself. Let me just uh, mic muted. We're all good. So, you can see himself out. So, he, he knows what Doris. Right. So Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I said we should have done with Eden Hazard. <laughs> Tyson Fury narrowly avoided one of the biggest upsets in combat sports history to beat Francis mm-hmm. Ngannou by a split decision in their heavyweight clash in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Riyadh season, if you uh, if you didn't know. For six months, that's a long <laughs> festival. Knocked down in the third round by Nganu, competing in his first professional boxing match for ultimately going the distance and claiming a points victory over 10 competitive rounds. I had Nganu winning. I think you had Nganu winning. Yeah. It is loosely scoring because... Even the first few rounds, I thought, well, we're not going to need yeah. to score this. So it's a, it a little bit patchy. The result maintains Fury's unbeaten record. Just keep, get, keep getting <laughs> away with it. I'm deadly serious. I was on Uber Eats seeing where did the cheapest <laughs> bottle of champagne because I thought <laughs> Eddie Hattrick, I told my brother in the day because I resisted a little Smith Rowe segment after he got a start. That was good of you. If he'd scored, I was genuinely, I was tanking up for the evening because that was going to be big. <laughs> First start for 500 days in the league. I underestimated just how much you wanted a Smith Rowe start. If Fury had then lost in the same night, 
I'd have been in the street. <laughs> doing a rain dance and also it would have been incredible. And like it's happened before, reel you in. Build you up. I actually can wholeheartedly say I didn't get reeled in even with the knockdowns in the in the third Wilder fight because once I've seen that first one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The last time I was reeled in by a Fury fight was when they were threatening that they may have to stop it with a cut in the Otto Wallen fight. They should have really stopped it with what a cut. That exactly else. my frustration at the time. This, I mean, all the excuses that can be dished out while saying, honestly, no excuses. Yeah. He just looked horrible. The activity wasn't there. He's not a busy fighter, but... He's busy enough. Yeah. The accuracy wasn't there because it looked to me... If he wanted to connect with Nganu, the head there wasn't great head movement. No, 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 no. It's a big target to hit as well. Yeah. I think Nganu quite simply took the punches better than he expected. Yeah, I can say he landed a couple of big right hands that I think if you told Fury before the fight you'll land that, he'll go, I'll get him out of there then. And the fact that he just let him and carried on going forward, it, it did seem like it spooked Fury a bit. I think just being hit like that, the first time he's had someone firing back for a little while. It didn't look, it like, did the look biggest, like he was shocked. It, it didn't look like the biggest shot either. There was there was no it was part a clipping of, shot, wasn't it? There was no part of me saying he might stay down. No, 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 yeah. no I never thought. In fact, he was closer in the that. eighth where I was thinking he might just be exhausted here if you can get him down, but managed to stay on his feet there. And Garnu's the winner, despite not being the winner here by the fact he guarantees himself at least a couple more paydays. I don't know how watertight this PFL contract is. If there's anything, I know it is just for MMA. I don't know if he has to fight by some stage or if it's like, you know, Jake Paul's got that deal that basically says, if you do MMA, you have to do it with us. We're giving you some money up front just to ensure this. I don't know if Francis one is a bit like that because they did say they'll let him compete in boxing, but they probably didn't expect it to be uh, going much further. No, I don't think there's too much of the fight to break down other than... well. As but as bad as Fury was, I do think it's kind of over the last day or so we've now started diminishing what Ngannou did just because it's probably the most impressive thing I've seen for someone to do that because he held that form throughout the fight. I thought even when he even shot me to begin with that he was in a good boxing stance and he looked like like he'd done this for a little while, and I thought well. This will fade. Once fatigue sets in, he'll return to the biggest thing is that basically the old habits come in. We know from his time in the UFC, he's hardly like, the gas tank isn't exactly his strength, is it? No. You know that, just take one look at him, it's built for power, it's not built for longevity. And his mouth was open from like round two. Yeah. Thought, oh, he's not going to be used to this. You look at how, obviously McGregor's gas tank faded against Floyd. You thought might have a similar job here. The fact that he was able to, keep going with it well it's the it's the mental capacity as well as Nick's that drains you as much as anything the fact that yeah but he he looked like he had this game plan drawn into him and he never really veered from it which is no, cause my big incredibly thing, impressive like I say mentally to keep that focus my big thing was that boxing Fury was never going to win so at least get in there and have a go and Fury backed mm. into the corner early and I was just kind of like well just swing yeah, just yeah. do something because I think the power with which he swings, the distance to which he was, like Fury in that distance would have, wouldn't have been able to get like a looping one in on him. Mm. So I was thinking, just wing some shots at him. 
and I saw some minds that I wouldn't like to align myself with, like Brendan Shaw beforehand saying, you shouldn't even try and box. You should just go out there for a round, swing, and basically just see what happens. <laughs> Turns out he can actually box a bit, well, and he probably should have won a decision, which my concern- I would have been more shocked by that than if he just iced him in a round just because Angano, yeah. I guess, looking at him, he has the capacity to do that to anybody. Because the thing with the gas tank, I was concerned that after he knocked Fury down, he didn't jump on him, and I thought he must be fucked. There'd be an adrenaline dump here. Well, even and just he'll be in trouble in that fifteen seconds that's left in the round. He doesn't really go for it, no, and that's when no. I thought you must be really yeah, tired. Here. Yeah. Did you see why he said uh, he did that celebration to Fury when he knocked him down? Because just before the fight, he'd been saying, "I'm going to take you to school away," yeah. didn't he? And he's, he's had a couple of good lines since then. Yeah, he said something like, uh, something like, you're the worst teacher out there. Yeah, yeah. People's taking you to school, motherfucking. Like, okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> His meme afterwards with the Kevin James one was... Incredible. Was, was great. Him, like, I'm thinking, right, you've started well here. Then he just switches to Southpaw in like round four or something. You're like, do not get carried away here. But even then he looked comfortable. The professional boxers who switch it and you go, don't do this because you are clearly not comfortable doing it. The fact that he was able to, I'm not sure I've ever needed to see a fight more than I need to see him, him against Wilder. Oh, Jesus, you're a sicko. But- I actually think him and AJ is more fun just because I think ultimately Wilder probably does what he does against Ngana. He'll probably land and then probably not quite as interesting. As- but that build, those seconds before the first round, you'd be as excited as you're ever going to be. I said pre-fight to someone... Um, I said that AJ couldn't sell a card like this. And I said, well, may, you may be right, but AJ and Garnu is a more interesting fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would disagree with that. I think I think AJ can. And Garnu might now be the most exciting fighter to book in the division based on yeah. all of the still questions of unknown. Still a lot of unknowns, but he's legitimised himself with that performance. He's got the perfect combination of both. I know when we talk boxing on here, it does eventually veer around to us slagging off Eddie Hearn usually. (laughs) I thought his ego has now got to a point in that he's no longer logically thinking as a promoter because for some reason Matchroom now give us these instant reactions that we have to have to things. And they tweeted one out just after the final bell of his instant reaction to Fury and Garnier. (laughs) And I don't know if you saw this, but if I'm a promoter at this point and I don't feel that he's kind of locked into any one promoter himself I immediately say I was wrong it's what a fantastic performance that was he's now an incredibly exciting fight he needs to get in there with Anthony Joshua next because that's the best fight we can make in this division he's proven himself there against Tyson Fury he's not going to get that rematch instead he came out and said Look, I mean, I thought Tyson Fury would have beaten him. Still don't think he was very good. And he basically just kind of shit on the whole thing because he'd slagged the fight off beforehand. Rather, you just eat humble pie in the moment and then you book what's a a far more winnable fight than the other names that are being mentioned for your guy. It's basically an easier version of the Wilder fight is basically what you're trying to book. Yeah, And... A lot cheaper, 
down the wild fight, I would imagine. There's no promotional company that you need to get involved with to try and book it. It's so simple. It sells because Tyson Fury has just done almost all of the promotion for you. Yeah. And yet you trip yourself up and they may still try and make the fight. But I think he may realise this belatedly and, and go all in. Every contender should be all over and gone. And so AJ included, it should be. You can go in there... The Ngannou stock is never going to be as high as it is right now. Probably, I mean, look, maybe he goes on a championship run. I don't know. But it's probably never going to be this high. But I I agree with you, actually. I hadn't really thought of it that way about Hearn in terms of he should have angled more for AJ Ngannou and talked up a little bit more. I disagree in that he has successfully put AJ's name straight back in there because by going... And it sounds delusional when he says it, but he's like... And now AJ, look, I'm looking at him. He'll run through Wilder. He's run through Fury no problem. I think he said he'll do Fury like no problems. Like, whether you mean that or not, you have successfully, I think, put AJ's name back in a mix that just a few months ago we thought he doesn't belong in anymore. So I think he's done his job as a promoter there. But you are right, he probably should have seen the bigger picture and gone gone after the Ngannou fight, really. I think a lot of people Especially are, if Fury and Usyk are going to be tied up, which, touch wood, you never know. A lot of people are just bored of AJ at this point. The reaction to his name is not what, what it once it was. Once was in- but I think the, like a fight with Ngannou or whatever can turn that around. Well, that's what I mean. So yeah. you need to do something like that. And you're not getting the fights over the line that people want to see. Because no. the Wilder one, I'm I'm a Wilder fan, so I have a level of bias. There is nothing anyone can tell me to convince me that Deontay Wilder does not want that fight. No. There is nothing that can be said because the fights that he's accepted elsewhere tell me this is not a man that's scared and he has even less to lose now. This is a guy who, when he was WBC champion, accepted to go to Russia and fight Alexander Povetkin. Povetkin failed a drug test, test and he said, well, let's, <laughs> let's ca- we'll carry can on. we get it on somewhere else, no basically. Problems. Then he calls up Tyson Fury and, yeah, they thought they were going to beat Fury, but it was still a fight that you didn't need to take. He fought Luis Ortiz when... The Luis Ortiz ones, I think. Well, Hearn, Hearn wouldn't let AJ in there with him the second time around yeah. after he'd yeah. already been knocked out. He didn't want to get Derek Chisora in there with him. Like these are guys, he didn't want to get White in there with him. It's like, yeah, exactly. These guys, and then yeah, he faces. He gives it all the chat about the second Fury fight, and you know they should have let me die in there and all of this. Backed up in the third fight, and it was okay. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that saying. third fight was the key. And then he's been calling out Andrew Ruiz. They say Andrew Ruiz is asking for insane money. Can completely believe that. <laughs> I actually had a dream that it's Andrew Ruiz and Garnu that we get next so brace yourself for that blimey like <laughs> it's uh, where I think Hearn's ego will have been damaged over the weekend the size of this event everyone being there and him being in Cancun doing a, a, a bomb show yeah. is I think his ego will never be able to comprehend that and there's an interesting dynamic with that with the he had this whole thing of we've got Saudi sewn up and Prince Khalid and Skills Challenge, whatever. Now, they've clearly been marginalised. And this new guy, um, I forget his yeah. name. Tur- Turkey. Yeah. 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 But he's clearly the guy now that they're going, right, sorry, Prince Khalid, you're out, you're in. you're, And he's delivered a mega event. And I think that will rile her more than anything. The last thing here, because we've been going for two and a quarter hours. The, the only thing with Fury, the interesting thing with him moving forward is that he definitely looked spooked by the fact that he couldn't physically manhandle Ngannou. He thought he could bully him. And he had, first time in a while, 
maybe ever. He's man, I can't shift him. I can't push him around. And also the this style that he's now more come forward, I'm gonna go through you. You would have thought the the incredible thing that makes him so difficult to beat with Fury is that if that doesn't work, he can always do I've got the longest arms in the game and I'm gonna do what I did for the first three fifths of my career and just keep you on the end of the jab, move and stick the pace out, but win the decision. He didn't seem like he could fall back on that against Angano. And if anyone was going to be basic and perfect for him to do yeah. that to, you'd have thought it would have been him. It's a performance of a lifetime for Angano, but odd from Fury. It's whether he didn't do it on that night or whether he can't do it anymore. Did you see the interview with Usyk earlier? Who, if he's playing chess at this point, it's like it's checkmate. It's what does he do? Well, Fury in the build-up was doing it, wasn't he? Where Usyk said he wanted more time. And they said, nope, we've got a contract. December 23rd, you better get ready. Fury did an interview with one of these sites after the fact. See in the new year. See in the new year. Usyk spoke with Boxing News earlier today and said, we've got a contract. December 23rd, it has to be, or you've breached your contract. See you in eight weeks. (laughs) And he's saying they plan to enforce the contract. Tyson Fury has to be ready in... Eight weeks, so... It's going to be an incredible thing when Fury and his fans tell you that actually that's not fair, don't believe so it. So I've already seen that in their replies, and someone said, well, hang on a minute, that's just what was happening the other way around. And Frank, I think because he's been trodden on for so long by Hearn, it's not a particularly likeable guy either in this whole thing, no, but no, no. rooted for him for a while because it was, come on, there's... The way that he's being spoken down on, it's like... You've forgotten who this guy is. Yeah, yeah. And his constant thing of, this man's the boss. And he said that straight away in the ring. His thing is why people don't watch boxing. Yeah, The decision yeah, yeah. alone, you already had people said, this is why I don't watch boxing. Rigged, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody, if you're a casual fan and beyond that, a casual, casual fan, you do look at that and go... It's a fixed outcome. You you do. I was surprised, and I was surprised the even the likes of Canelo watching it, Damian Lillard watching it. Like LeBron, this is LeBron tweeted saying, "This is why I don't yeah. watch boxing, man." Which and this is that has an influence. This is what pre afternoon in America. Yeah, when yeah, it yeah. was on. So yeah, it was a huge event. Huge. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fair point, but we both felt quite smug after the British title fight saying, I'll wait to hear when the ring walks are. I don't need to tune in to the rest oh, of this. <laughs> felt fantastic. Watched a whole episode of something whilst everyone was going, what's taking yeah. so long? It's like, ah, your I first heard, rodeo, is it, guys? I heard them say on commentary that they had a ceremony, an Olympic, they called it an Olympic-style ceremony prior. And I thought, yeah, I don't yeah, need, I to don't need that. that. All right. Yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, it's gone from my mind. The, by the way, though, as, as chess-like as that is for music, if I'm being honest... Do not offer Fury a now or never scenario. <laughs> a man who's shown he doesn't really want to fight you. Do not offer never as an option, is my advice. Well, thank you for listening to this extended edition of the Spitballing Pod. But United get battered like that. These things have to happen. Halloween special, whatever tag you want to put on it. And no movie madness. So even more time to spend throughout the week listening to it. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Adios. <laughs>